Welcome to the Kill Your Internet Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode number 54 of the Kill Your Internet Podcast presented by High Brew Coffee. Uh, with you, as always, is your boy, Colin. To my left tonight, we have the Lord, Mr. Ken Jose, Ken Bianco. Hola. I gave you the Lord, the Lord title tonight. The Lord and the Ken Jose. <laughs> There's no roast Malone here today. So somebody's <laughs> got to be the Lord. I know. I got no one to grill. Literally. I know. See, yeah, usually you just come at somebody on the other side of that. Yeah. But yeah, it's just me and Ken tonight. Uh, we have an amazing long interview today with Robbie Fox, the man himself from Barstool Sports, host of My Mom's Basement podcast, uh, commentator for Rough and Rowdy, MMA guy. We get into talking about his relationship with Dana White, his relationship with Conor McGregor, and how that all started. Yeah, he's he's an awesome guy. He's a fucking fellow, great fellow guy. Fellow bass player. So we talk about that too, and I ask him like, why the bass? Why the bass? And he's like, my brother was a drummer, and I don't know. I think I just have the temperament. And I was like, bass players all have a very similar temperament. Like, yeah, we're all very. There's not a high fluctuation of differences. Well, and what I said was, um, I said later in the interview is, bass players are the guy in the band you want to be friends with, the guy who you want to go have a beer with, because drummers are crazy, lead singers are egotistical, bass players are just fucking normal ass dudes who just are good at what they do and they just wanted to hang out. Yeah, hold, they literally hold it down. How many crazy bass players have you ever heard of? Uh, I guess Sid Vicious is maybe. Yeah, th- I don't even think you knew how to play the instrument though. He's just no. kind of a guy. <laughs> Sid Vicious, I guess Flea's a little crazy. So, but I still feel like there. I'd like to do peyote with Flea. Yeah, Flea is also at the same time. I feel like can very come down, have a very good. Did you ever watch the um, Funky Monks documentary they did when they were cutting? Um, it was like an album in the mid '90s that Rick Rubin produced. Yeah, that was probably Blood Sugar. They 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 did this black and white documentary. And oh, I, I didn't even know that was out there, bro. It's on YouTube for free, and I watched it, and <laughs> the comments were great. It was like I watched this in the '90s when it came out, and my only realization was that Chad Smith is the only normal human being in this band. <laughs> like everything you see is like Anthony Kiedis getting ac- like acupuncture, and like <laughs> he's like singing his like songs into a wall, like and then flees over here doing flea shit. John Frusciante's all dipped out on the ground yeah. trying to play his guitar. <laughs> like, like, it's a, with the stick. It's a really cool out. documentary, though. I'll have to check that out. Uh, okay, so let's let's get. Into, let's let's get the Eagles stuff out of the way. Thursday night, obviously, a W is a W, but uh, I, it th- sucks because they've won and now they're in the division lead. Yep, so they can still give you handily. Hope and they can because still did you, you watch the fucking Cowboys game today? Yeah, I saw the Andy Dalton. Hit. Andy Dalton. Oof. Andy Dalton got assassinated. That was dirty as hell. You know, it's bad when. The players on the team on Washington were just like, oh, on, that dog. was not good. Come on, dog, what are you doing? That <laughs> was late. And their third-string quarterback, uh, his name is Ben DiNucci. And all I kept thinking, because it's a barstool day today, I kept thinking about Fantasy Fuckboys. Oh, <laughs> Hey, God. it's Fettuccine Alfredo. <laughs> Yo, it was Ben DiNucci. <laughs> that was PFT's last week was Fenucci Fenucci. <laughs> I was just like, Yo, Ben DiNucci's out here. But, uh, yeah, so uh, my takeaway today was, you know, Eagles are in first place, and that's great. Carson with the fucking dime. It was funny, too, because if you watched our Instagram story that night, I had a full range of emotions. I sat there, and I was like, these motherfuckers wasted a black jersey game. Then, like, five (laughs) minutes later, it was like, they didn't waste a black jersey game. Hell, yeah. Yeah, that's the life of the Eagles fan is you can start the game like this team fucking sucks. And then at the end, you're doubting the whole time. You're like, W in the bag. Knew it all W, along. baby. Birds. Destiny bound. Bird, Super, Bowl. Super Bowl, no <laughs> doubt. Uh, but I feel good about where we are in the division. We're only going to get healthier, which I'm excited healthier about. Healthier in the schedule. We're at least in a section now that's going to be, we can get together some wins. The NFL's weird this year, dude. Like, there's there's no, like, really. No clear cuts. No favorites. clear cuts. But, I mean, like, the, the Seattle, uh, fucking Denver got destroyed by uh, uh, Kansas City today. Yeah. 
it's it's you know it's a usual suspect. Seattle Steelers Titans that was a good game. Tight um, dude, tight Titans are a good football team. That's because Derrick Henry's like a man child. Derrick Henry looks like a man amongst boys. The rest of the guys look like they're playing a different sport. I have a theory. He's like Samson. That like big ass braid he has. Yeah. If you, like if you cut that off, he'd turn it. He'd, <laughs> he'd shrink down to Urkel size, and he's just like like yeah. First off. That man is just, I've never seen anybody that big and that fast. Like, and he just, like, takes grown ass men that hit people for a living and shoves their face in the mud. Yeah, like, if you it, want, like, suicide by football player, just have Derrick Henry run you over. It's like the old videos when Kimbo Slice used to just, like, smash dudes while, like, going over the <laughs> middle. Like, he's, like, it's the same shit. Like, he just looks like a different level of, like, and I'm glad for him, too, because I didn't know what he was going to be coming out of college. Yeah. Really good. Uh, other than that, the Patriots are a dumpster fire, which is so funny to me. Uh, it's We're not going to get into the wildest shit, but uh, all the memes of Bill Belichick, they're like Bill Belichick calling Tom Brady at halftime, singing to him, <laughs> trying yeah. to get him to come back. <laughs> you ever seen that uh, the meme? It's it's the dude who's like, he got sentenced to jail and he sings to the judge. He's, no. like, he's like, sir, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and it was like that. It was like Bill Belichick calling Tom Brady tonight at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's going to be interesting because my whole thing with Cam and Bill Belichick if the Panthers, or not the Panthers, I'm sorry, the Patriots are doing great, I feel like Belichick can just disregard the f- weird Cam outfits. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But now <laughs> they're going to be bad. He'll probably, like, every week just start to hate him a little bit more. Oh, yeah, there's just going to be more. Every day Cam's going to walk into a different canary-colored hat, and Bill's just going to be <laughs> sitting in the corner like, Ugh. I, When they were winning, like when they, I thought it was going to be a runaway for them in the AFC East. I thought Bill Belichick was going to start wearing the hats and the outfits and stuff like that. Yeah, just still keep the same temperament. No but. longer. Yeah, just <laughs> we're, we're on the next week. But he's got he's got like the the rose colored glasses and the feather hat. Uh, but yeah, getting off football, we're we're in the process right now, and it's weird. Like I don't know what it is, but we were talking about it last week when I came back from Nashville. Um, of writing new stuff, and we're hitting the stride. We we've come up with some different ideas, but. I'm so excited to do some more guitar stuff. Like, just like get real ignorant with it. I, I'm I'm pumped. I mean, I'm in one of those fired up creative zones right now where like every 20 minutes I'm writing something down. Like, I like I love. I I was nervous before I went to Nashville because I hadn't written anything in like a month or two. And then I'm always in that space where I'm like, can I still do this? Do I still got it? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> any good a rock song with great guitars is always obviously such a yeah match uh, made in heaven. And we talk about it with Robbie Fox on the podcast, but like I said. I really do think that guitars are about to take off again, and uh, we actually got into the Machine Gun Kelly conversation too. Okay, what did what he? Well, I guess he's a fan. Yeah, okay. yeah, we'll, we'll we'll let you go on that. But he, I I do I will say this: Tommy Lee gets referenced a lot in this because he interviewed Tommy Lee okay. last week from, and they talked about it. And so I brought up points in that. That conversation is wild. You got to wait for this conversation with Robbie Fox. But uh, let's dig into the wildest shit that we've seen on the internet. We were going to do this last week, but we didn't do it in time. Uh, Borat 2 just came out. I have not watched it yet, but Rudy Giuliani got flamed online, rightfully so. That is not a good look. It's a terrible look. First off, the things that go on on camera, I always think there has to be 100 million things that are worse off camera, like that nobody ever saw. But if you haven't seen the clip yet, basically Borat sets up. I never thought I would say this. 2020 is a fucking weird year, but Borat set up Rudy Giuliani to get interviewed in a hotel room by his 15-year-old. It's not a 15-year-old, but like his 15-year-old daughter. And they interview Rudy Giuliani, and then at the end, he's doing some weird shit. He's like patting her on the hip, and he says, "Like, can I have your phone number and your address?" Like, what the fuck is that? Send me letters. Yeah, what the fuck? (laughs) I don't know, dude. But at the end of it. 
she goes to take his microphone off and he like shoves both his hands down his pants and then Borat runs in the room and I watched an interview with Sasha Baron Cohen where he was like I was hiding in that room because I thought something creepy was going to happen and then as soon as somebody because he was getting text updates on what was going on okay. and as soon as they were like his hands are in his pants he sprinted into the room <laughs> And Rudy Giuliani's like, they set me up. They s- yeah, they set you up, and you got caught. Yeah, first off, you got caught. It's not a good look. Talk about someone like Rudy Giuliani, who 20 years ago, 9-11, like a hero. hero, and now just some fall from grace stuff. I don't know how you're a politician in 2020, and you fall for Borat. How does anybody fall for Borat? Like, he's like, I thought Sasha Baron Cohen would never get me, and he did. I'm like, he was fucking Borat. It's not like this was a new character. Yeah, this, <laughs> he was. He wasn't. He was Borat. He was fucking <laughs> Borat. Everybody in these movies who gets caught deserves to get caught because everybody knows who Borat is. Like, it, this isn't 2004 where people were like, I don't know who that is. Like, this motherfucker has been everywhere for years. Yeah, like, and it's very much a thing now, and, you uh, know. It's for the fucked up part is that is the president's lawyer. Yeah, it's, it's the president's <laughs> lawyer. What are we doing? How is this possible? Like, well, I know it's a screwy year. I know it's a fucked up year. But if you had, you know, the the president's lawyer getting caught on camera with a fifteen year old Borat daughter uh, being creepy on your bingo card in twenty twenty, yeah, motherfucker, you won. What the line for that at Vegas was? Oh, dude, I don't know. Uh, check the Barstool Sportsbook app. I'm sure they have. It. Uh, the second thing I have here. So last week, Odell Beckham Jr. did an interview where he said he's too fast to catch COVID. COVID can't get him because he's fast. And then this week, he didn't get COVID, but something terrible did happen. He fucking, they think he tore his ACL. Uh, Basically, I think the point here is don't challenge COVID because it seems like everybody who challenges COVID, something terrible winds up happening to them. I mean, I like the positive mindset. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Just leave COVID alone. Just, just go your merry way. It's one of those things. It's like, don't, 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 don't say Voldemort because he's coming for you. Does that mean, I just like imagine Odell Beckham leaving his house every day with his mask. And if he runs really fast, he doesn't need it. <laughs> he's just sprinting. Yeah. Odell sprints everywhere. So he can't catch COVID. I don't know. Shout the like, prayers to Odell Beckham Jr. I hope he's okay. And that was a game too. If you watch that game, break Baker Mayfield hung like a bunch of receivers out to dry. And Odell got destroyed on oh, that play. Yeah. Uh, the Bra- it's the Browns. Who the fuck knows? But I just like I, what I have learned because President Trump fucking challenged COVID all the time that he winds up getting it. Like just <laughs> man, don't test your luck. Just go with the flow. There's no need to challenge COVID. We know it's undefeated. Like <laughs> it's cool, bro. Don't don't challenge don't challenge the greats. Here we go. Here's the other thing. So we brought this up a little bit before, and we get into it in the interview with Robbie Fox as well. But the Kanye Joe Rogan podcast, dude. In the first, like, 37 minutes, Joe Rogan said 25 words. Yeah, I got 15 minutes in, and I had to turn it off. I'm the biggest Kanye fan on earth, and I'm, first off, I, I think I'm talking, like, pre-2016 Kanye, like, well, prayers to that man, because something's going on upstairs, but watching this, and the, the beauty about the Joe Rogan podcast is it's generally pretty good mutual conversation. This was, like, Joe Rogan being like, how you doing, Kanye? And he's like, let me tell you about my destiny as yeah, the leader of the free world. Oh man, I don't know. I fuck, fucking, fuck if I know. But it was there was parts that were interesting, like the part where he he's talking about something completely random, and then he just goes, "You know what? Hold up, I got to talk about this." The Star Wars prequels <laughs> were better than the sequels, and Joe Rogan's like, "I don't know where the fuck that came from." <laughs> but he does. He talks about the music industry and kind of like why he's like rallying against it, and that was interesting. But like a lot of the conversations about being the president freaked me the fuck out. He's randomly talking about Oprah. I, yeah, I don't. I thought he wasn't running for president anymore, but I guess that's still a thing. I all I know is it's not good because any vote for him goes to Trump, and I'm not trying to you know fly my flag over here about what side I stand on, but that's not a good thing. Uh, I do. I think I think Paul put it. There was a meme that was like Kanye fans will be like, 
he should run for president because I really like graduation. Like, <laughs> but he made graduation, so no, that's exactly. like their thought process. In my head, I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, there was never a time. There was a time in my household where I was egging my wife on because she knows. It's a point of division in my house how much I love Kanye, and she's always held steadfast. He's a jackass. And <laughs> when he started running, I was like, I don't know, Dane. I'm going to have to smash that button. And she was like, you're not fucking serious, are you? And I was like, no, I'm not serious. She's like, you sound serious. And I'm like, I'm not serious. I'm not going to vote for Kanye. But in the, And then I would go, <laughs> tune in next week. <laughs> tune in next week for the Budney household argues about Kanye West. And that was the wildest shit that we've seen on the internet. Uh, let's get into what the fuck we've been listening to. I'm going to start out. Uh, I've been on this kind of like, I don't know, pop punk is the word I'm looking for here, but this like kind of, I mean, a lot of Gaslight Anthem, a lot of Menzingers, but then I went into Aaron West in the Roaring Twenties, which is, Ooh. it's so good. Uh, and we do get into that in the uh, in the podcast about how Will was supposed to be on tour with Aaron West in the Roaring Twenties. Oh yeah, this summer. I we were going to have to, we were going to have to shape our tour schedule around Will touring with them, but it's, it's, uh, Dan Campbell, the lead singer of the uh, Wonder Years, it's his band that he does on the side, and it's basically a character. But the song I picked was Running Towards the Light. It's a lot of horns. It's very Springsteen-y, very but, it's got, Springsteen-y. but it's got a very like <laughs> pop-punk edge. And I, it's, it's, the albums that he has for Aaron West and the, West and the Roaring Twenties are unfucking believable So go check that out. Uh, Kenny, what's your first pick? My first pick, I'm going to go. This has probably been my favorite album I discovered this past year, and artists in general. I, I still fucking love that White Reaper album. Oh! And so good. the um, song Saturday. So good. What I love, I love when there's an album where you can almost tell the band got in the studio, they found their guitar tones, yep. and they're like, all right, we're just going to do this for the whole album. And that, now I don't mean to sidetrack from your point, but that was when we were having a conversation about what we're doing for our next record. We were having that meeting, and I said, uh-huh. I want to get the guitar tones, and I want to get the drum tones, and I want them to ride out throughout. Yeah. And that is a really good example because I mean, like, might be right is obviously like the single. Yeah. But there's so many good songs. um, I still love um, what's the one? Eggplant's good. They have they have a song off one of the earlier records called Judy French, which is really good. And they're a band that like obviously just like found a good way to write poppy hooks, but still in the same. I love the band The Dirty Nil, and Uh I talk about them a lot on this podcast, but. They're like uh, an American Dirty Nail because Dirty Nail are Canadian, but just finding ways to take these older tones and make them modern. Yeah, it kind of almost like that album I can see is like when I listen to it, it gives me like a vibe of like you're with your buddies, you buy a cheap case of beer. Yep. And it's like that kind of like good time party vibe. Yeah, it's like to me, it's like 2004 rock, like the strokes and stuff like that meets Thin Lizzy meets Secret Club, our boys. Like in a way, they're, they're in that vein, like good time party rock. But just great songs. That's a good first. Yeah, pick. great guitar parts too. Speaking of good rock songs, I picked "Desires" by Drake and Future. <laughs> uh, it's off the Dark Lane demo tapes, and I picked this because Drake announced that his new album, "Certified Lover Boy," is coming out in January, and I got really excited. Uh, this I love when Drake and Future get together. I always do. And uh, this was like a throwaway song that leaked, and he put it on this like because Dark Lane demo tapes is literally just throwaway songs that like weren't gonna make an album. It's really good, but Desires is like both of them kind of singing, half rapping. It's 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 really good. So Desires by Drake and Future. My next one, I'm gonna go throwback. Um, this from a live album, Warren Zevon, Stand in the Fire. Um, Let's go. Play it, play it all night long. Yeah. I think. Maybe one of the best opening lines ever is um, Grandpa pissed his pants again. <laughs> it's a very Blink-182 way to start yeah. a song. <laughs> Warren Zevon is a very underrated songwriter in the in the pantheon of all-time great songwriters. A lot of people call him a songwriter for songwriters. 100%. Because he'll never get, he never gets public recognition, but if you ask like Springsteen, all those yeah. guys that came up with him, they'll say how much they love Well, Warren everybody Zivon. knows two of his songs. They know Werewolves in London, 
and they know Lawyers, Guns, and Money. Yeah. And, and both great songs, but I mean, he has tracks. Like, he has fucking great yeah, tracks. Um, what was the one? He made the album before right he... Right before he died. Keep Me In Your Heart For A While. Very sad, great song, but... Great song, man. Yeah. Yeah, that was that documentary is amazing. The VH1 did. It mm-hmm. was like he knew he was gonna die, and he was doing this album as he knew he was gonna die. It's kind of like the Bowie thing with Black Star. Yeah, fucking so good, dude. Shout out to Warren Zevon. Uh, my last pick is from Bruce Springsteen's new album, <laughs> which, by the way, if you're listening, uh, later this week we're doing a full album breakdown with Bruce Warren from WXPN. Maybe some special guests. I'll let you know. But uh, it's off the album Letter to You, and I'm just gonna say right off the top. I love the record. My boy Steve Kessler, you know Steve Kessler. Yeah. Steve took off work on Friday to listen to the album. That's that's <laughs> the way to do it. Yeah, we had a hundred conversations <laughs> that day. He texted me and he just be like, "What's your favorite song?" He actually, <laughs> Steve put together a playlist of what he thinks if Bruce was touring this year, what, what his set list would have been. Okay. And it's uh, me and him. Me and Kessler have had long conversations about this, but uh, I picked the song "Janie Needs a Shooter." Uh, it sounds like it's from darkness. It's like it opens up with these big like B three swells, and it just sounds like old Bruce. This whole album sounds like it was recorded back in the day. They cut it in four days, all live, and uh, I realistically think it's his best work since. Uh, like everybody brings up the rising, the rising was great. It's better than the rising. It's better than Wrecking Ball. It's better than uh, High Hopes. It's better than Western Stars. It's better than Devils and Dust. It probably for me is the be- my my favorite Bruce album since Born in the USA. And I know that's like a really like I mean I'm holding it up, but it's an instant reaction. But it's just so good. So I went with Janie Needs a Shooter by Bruce Springsteen. Nice. I'm gonna have to listen to that. Album it's fucking outstanding. <laughs> uh, my last one. I'm gonna go. I've been on an Umphy McGee kick um i mentioned them before but this song anchor drops just i don't know been in kind of a jam bandy mood yeah. and just all all around great band more i think they're good like in between the jam band meets kind of prog rock yeah they're, they're much more um there's they're a jam band but like it's so syncopated and it's so well put together and if you see their live shows too they just look like dads they they, yeah. they, they look like a dad band like and they're, <laughs> they, their fans are all looking like dads like they're 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 a jam band's jam band but they're fucking outstanding yeah i think it's cool too i think if you go on their spotify they do like playlists it's like 2019 hall of fame yeah oh where they wow get like the best performances from like the oh, year and they awesome. just kind of put them in a playlist this might not shock you, but I've seen a live video of them from Hangout Fest, and the, the lead guitar player plays a Paul Reed Smith. And, like, nothing <laughs> makes more sense to me than the fact the guy from Umphreys McGee plays a Paul Reed Smith. Yeah, I think every jam band needs a guy playing a PRS. Shout out Colin O'Donnell. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say, too, like, that is, that is like, anybody who comes here for the sports content or from the bu- for the bullshitting, you just got, like, the music nerd moment where we're like, oh, yeah, Umphreys McGee, definitely Paul Reed Smith, guys. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like, what, who the fuck is Paul Reed Smith? <laughs> oh, my God. All right, we're about to go in our interview with Robbie Fox uh, from Barstool Sports. Before we do, we're going to give a shout-out to our sponsor, High Brew Coffee, 10% off all online orders. Uh, and then it's at Wawa. I stopped, got one before I came here. Every time I go, there's less and less on the shelves, and I think that's fucking awesome because I think we have something to do with it. I might just that might be a sign of hu- like hubris, but I like to think we have something to do with it. Wink, wink. Um, but shout out to High Brew Coffee. Go and grab it at Wawa. Order it online. Yeah, I saw they're coming out. They have a peppermint mocha for the holidays. So Ooh. come on, why wouldn't you get that? That needs to. Do we need to start making High Brew Coffee cocktails. I think I'm gonna do that on Instagram this week, and it's just gonna be whiskey and High Brew Coffee mixed together. <laughs> Uh, but shout out to High Root Coffee, dude. Absolutely the best. Uh, all right, let's go into our interview with Robbie Fox. Yeah! How you feeling? You feel all right? All right, ladies and gentlemen, your guest for today's Kill Your Internet podcast is blogger for Bar- Barstool Sports, host of the My Mom's Basement podcast. 
uh, rough and rowdy commentator and the, I don't know, interest of many, many, many things. We have Mr. Robbie Fox over here. How are we doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on. Like I just said, I appreciate you thinking of me. Uh, I'm excited to do this. Dude, and I say this all the time because we've had White Sox Dave on here. Uh, he, he's a friend and a fan of the band. And uh, we have Smitty, who's a Philly guy who we've known for a little while now. And we've had like Grammy Award winning producers. We've had huge bands on here, like all that. But I get the most like antsy and butterflies in my stomach for the Barstool guys because we're such fucking giant stoolies and I don't want to fuck that up. So I want you to know. Like, that's awesome. That's dude, cool, though. That's that's like cool to hear. Yeah, no, dude, seriously. And uh, uh, a story I want to start off with before we, we get any further, like. So pop punk is a thing in our band that we're like, that's fu- just fucking awesome, right? So <laughs> it was 2018, and we were in the midst of doing, like, we did a hu- few huge festivals. We opened a stadium. Like, we were having songs starting to pop off. And it was like kind of like the zenith when we were starting to really get going. And uh, we were at this point, like, what's next? Like, what can we do? And then you guys played Irving Plaza. And uh, I remember me and my bass player, Ken, we were like, you think we can get on a pop punk show? We should probably do that. <laughs> so, like, we were fucking playing shows with Bon Jovi and like fucking the killers. And my next thing was like, dude, we got to open up for pop punk. That'd be fucking sick. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Dude, no. And uh, the, the love is real over here for you guys. And um, I just want to, I want to start you. off by saying, I don't know that there's a busier human being alive with more interest and just a more authentic person in the world than you. And uh, we always try and let our guests know like, like what we appreciate about them. Dude, you've made your life off of being you. And I want you to know how fucking cool that is. Like, do you ever like look at what's going on in your life and just be like, how the fuck did I get here? You know, I honestly like do that fairly often. And I did it pretty often because I got interviewed by KFC from Barstool. We did like a behind the blog recently. I just passed my four year anniversary at Barstool. So he came over, we sat on this couch (laughs) and he just interviewed me for like 90 minutes. So we talked about all of it and like doing that and talking about just how much I've done like in four years at Barstool and how much, not even how much I've done, but how much I've gotten to experience. Like it it was not even, not even stuff that I've done, but so much stuff that was just like right place, right time that all aligned perfectly. Um, it, it, It was pretty cool to like, look back. And like you said, I have pretty much made my gig, like just based around my interests. Like, I have pop punk. I'm in a parody pop punk band because I wanted to be a rock star when I was little. I am a commentator of a boxing company because I wanted to do that when I was little. Like I've got my podcast where I talk to musicians or people that I'm interested in. Same yep. thing that you guys are doing. Yep. So yeah, it's absolutely like beyond my wildest dreams. Well, dude, like looking at it too, like I, I was kind of like laughing because I was like going through what I was going to ask. And then all of a sudden on my timeline, like four different dudes in Barstool posted the picture. It was you, Dave, Erica, and Big Cat sitting there commentating rough and rowdy. And I'm like, look at this motherfucker just climb the ladder. Like, this is so sick. That's one of the craziest things too. And people, some people are always like, you're the MMA guy. Like you should fight in rough and rowdy. That'd be great. And I'm always like, <laughs> I'm one of the only people that gets to do stuff alongside Dave and Big Cat. I'm not giving up that seat ever, Dude, ever. First <laughs> of, with as big of a UFC guy as you are and a pro wrestling guy, like, was there ever a moment in your life? You said you wanted to be a rock star. Did you ever want to do UFC, like step in the ring and throw hands? So not UFC, but wrestling. And I yeah. trained to be a wrestler for like a summer in high school. No I shit. Like, yeah. My, so the, my the summer between my junior year and my senior year, I went down to Rahway, New Jersey. Yeah. And I went to wrestling school. 
And uh, Pat Buck was the trainer. He is now a producer at the WWE. And I just didn't like it. Like, I had the, the dream as a child. Yeah. And then, like, when I actually did it, look at my body type. That's one. <laughs> and it's, like, me taking bumps. I was feeling them a little more than everyone else. But I was, like, put in the work, too. Like, that prior year, I was going to the gym four times a day. I was drinking, like, a gallon of milk a day <laughs> trying to bulk up. Yeah. My now brother-in-law was taking me and, like, teaching me workouts at 24-hour fitness in Jersey. Yeah. It was, like – a funny time to look back on but definitely had the wrestling dream never had the ufc dream really yeah. because i feel like i've always realized like oh that, that, i don't like it <laughs> those guys are fucking wanna, animals bro yeah, like that's on, that's yeah. real shit i, I like I, doing jujitsu but like i would never do anything that involves me getting punched in the face and going home with a headache and ugh. i feel like guys that do like stuff like for, for a musician and for someone who works for barstool like you have had many dreams in your life. I know for me, like I thought growing up, I was going to play pro baseball. Like I was like, yeah. I will mention all city in Philadelphia. I played a year and a half in college. And, uh, but like you come to that realization in certain things, especially in like a physical aspect. Like I played with Joey Wendell who plays third base for the Tampa Bay Rays right now in the world series. Yeah. And I just realized I was like, Nope, not going to yeah. happen. Better, better, like, better. Oh, figure that's out. the guy. That's yeah. the guy. Yeah. We all, we <laughs> all knew he was the guy, but Dude, I, we ask everybody this to start off, but how's quarantine been for you? How's this whole period of time been for you? It's actually been, like, pretty good professionally, personally. It feels bad saying that because I know it's been a tumultuous time for so yeah. many people. Like, 2020, for me, I've been fortunate enough to continue doing my job, doing interviews like this via Zoom, which it's changed things a little bit. But I was even open to doing, like, Zoom interviews and phoner interviews before the quarantine. Right. Where a lot of people at Barstool were like, no, let's wait till we do, like, in-person stuff. I was always like, ah, screw it. If we could talk to people, we could talk to people. Exactly. Like, I'll take whatever I can get. So, for me, it's been pretty pretty regular. UFC, obviously, has been, like, my main thing, and they've carried on. So, that's yeah. been a huge factor. Like, thank you, Uncle Dana. People <laughs> always say uh, – That's like, your boy now, dude. Yeah, they're saying you, you kiss Uncle Dana's balls. It's like, of course I do. He's given me page views content for what days. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I was laughing because I seen I was going through your interviews for the podcast before this, right? Because I know you've done a lot with Dana White recently. First of all, how surreal is that? Just to talk to the guy. So crazy. And like uh he's one of those guys where you feel his aura when you're around him. You feel oh, yeah. like, oh, he's in charge of this entire company, you know, sometimes doing like the tour interviews, he'll be like, Oh, let's cut for just a second. I'm like, all right, cool. Someone will walk up to him, hand him one of his three phones and be like, you just got to respond to this text right now. It's a fighter. And he's like, cool response to it. He's like, all right, let's keep going. And he's the exact same person off camera as he is on camera, which is very funny. Like I whenever, that. and that's why I think the barstool thing fits so well because yeah. we've caught so many interactions that generally wouldn't be caught on camera right. but he's just the same guy so he doesn't care he's like yeah put it out i don't care well i mean dude so besides dana white like i was watching the tommy lee interview was awesome by the way how i keep saying this but how fucking surreal is that like he had the undertaker you had because we we were talking to smitty like probably like a month ago and he was like if i told myself that at 34 i'd be interviewing the fucking undertaker like i'd probably freak out as a kid like how much of this is like looking back on your like childhood being like i cannot fucking believe i'm all interacting of, with these people that's that's all of it for me like the tommy lee interview for me was you, like you just mentioned the undertaker we did rick flair during quarantine we did that's triple insane. h like as a wrestling fan that's massive those names oh yeah tommy lee was like the coolest one for me personally i was i had motley crew posters on my wall as a kid yeah. i had like a drumstick that he used during a sound check oh, mounted. so like i was just so crazy about motley growing up that that was the craziest for me like moving into music and you said we got to do more music content i agree and interviewing musicians is going to be i feel like where i geek out the most and i oh, get yeah. the most like 
jacked up and antsy for i have a few white whales that i'm like if i ever got to interview so-and-so i'm like holy i was shit, just gonna I, ask I you who who is your like and this will go music first but like just like you're like holy grail like for me like if i could ever get bruce springsteen i'd kill myself directly after because that's like that's god dude, to you're me. from like, philly that's so perfect it's so fun is, here dude, you I, say that and in your accent Bro, I'm such a more. <laughs> I'm such a cartoon character. Like whatever you expect it to be, I am fucking from Northeast Philadelphia. I am who I am. And I love I think, it. I try and dumb the accent down so bad, but as soon as I start, like, <laughs> like you'll listen to back to this right in the beginning of the interview, will be like, and we have Robbie Fox, and then by the middle of it, I'm like, yeah, dude, that's fucking so sick. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, go birds, yeah. <laughs> dude, I saw you. You did the whole wing bowl thing too, which is yeah. How was that experience for someone? Because I. I like that's in our blood. Like everybody's like, all right, four thirty, you get to U-Haul, you go down to Wing Bowl. <laughs> what was that? Was that like an alien experience? You're like, what the fuck yes. is this, bro? It's not in my blood. So that's exactly <laughs> what, the entire time I was just like flabbergasted, and I felt like uh, Dave recently had the thing where you know Sam Ponder like confronted him and yeah, he yeah. described it by saying he felt like he got hit by eighteen punches before he knew he was in a fight. That's how the Wing Bowl felt to me. I was just like, where am I? What's going on? You know the Mister Krabs meme where he's just oh, like, yeah, oh. No. Dude, straight up in high school i had a, i had an official visit to wilmington university for baseball and i actually considered not going because i didn't want to miss wing bowl and by the way i'm like 17 at this point so like i can't even legally be there but there's yeah. no rule it's, it's it's fucking anarchy there's no rules but like i actually had a long conversation with my mom being like mom i gotta go to wing bowl come on yeah oh my god <laughs> that's Dude, hysterical but, so we'll go into kind of like the professional side now right okay so, yeah you're obviously doing rough and rowdy, but you also do UFC. What is it like floating between the two worlds of like the amateur fighting? And then you're also dealing with like the fucking dogs in the UFC. Like, is that like just a weird dichotomy between the two? Yeah, it sort of is because you would think that like, I guess being the UFC guy lends a lot for rough and rowdy. It's like, oh, you're the fighting guy that could like add to the broadcast, but it doesn't really like <laughs> it really what it gave me was an end to be like, I would like to do this. I, I think I would be good at it. It would be yeah. fun. And then once I got in, I was less using like fighting knowledge and more using just like, I don't know, stupid like dick jokes and wit. <laughs> like the, the the way we do commentary on Rough and Rowdy is not, we're not offering analytics and stats. What is there to analyze? It's just exactly. fucking galoots exactly. in there beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> yeah, so I try to just kind of like pick my spots. I let Dave and Big Cat very much handle the, the heavy lifting in the show. I mean, they're the two like funniest people on the internet still in my eyes, like, Oh, oh my yeah. God. So I, I just wait until there's a moment of silence, get in, hit a little jab, hit a little joke, get out. Whereas the UFC, I try to, it's more of a, how can I take this and put it in the eyes of a casual fan or someone right. that isn't going to buy the pay-per-view or is like, oh, I'm kind of interested in that yeah. and just make it interesting. That's always my main goal with the UFC. And like, you know, the journalists will get mad at me for not asking the hard hitting questions or whatever. And I always say to them, I'm approaching my interviews, not only with UFC people, Dana White, but with Tommy Lee, with Billy Martin of Good Charlotte we just had on. I approach all those like almost like I'm doing a long form late night show interview. Exactly. Like, like if, if someone went on Jimmy Fallon, but Jimmy Fallon had 30 minutes with him. Right. Like that's how I approach my interviews where it's I'm just trying I mean, to create like a comforting environment. I'm not trying to go gotcha on anyone. Exactly. I'm not trying to fight anyone. You well, know, the I'm thing not is, you guys, guy. yeah. Barstool gets get shit from the the big J journalists. If you want to use a big cat term here, but like the big J journalists, because it's not traditional. It's more of a you get to these people on a human level, which is why everybody loves it so much. 
I don't think we want to sit down and hear the canned answers necessarily. I want to hear like the, well, you know, the good Lord's looking out for me and uh, God willing, we'll win today. It's yeah, more of like, a, exactly. so what the fuck is up? Like, and that's exactly. why we as fans love it. And there's other places where you can find that stuff. It's exactly. like, if you want the, the journalistic interviews, journalists will do them. Like you can, you can go watch those. That's fine. That's just not what you come to Barstool for. Like you said, it's not just my stuff either. Other interviews pretty similar in tone some people will go you know more hard-hitting and that's fine we have a lot of variety but they're pretty similar i would say across the board i mean dude and to be completely honest we caught you at a really good time because yesterday obviously was was it 255 what what ufc was yesterday 254 it was it never stops who who the fuck can keep up (laughs) so obviously you had the gaichi khabib fight and it goes the way it does and khabib walks off into the sunset 29 and 0 fucking obviously a monster like what do you do you see him coming back like do you honestly see him stepping back in the ring after this i don't he's like the one exception to the yep. rule and like mma retirement is the same thing as pro wrestling retirement 100%. every time it happens you're like all right see it in a year buddy especially exactly. now with connor doing it like every other every other month i feel like mcgregor yeah. retires but khabib he's the one guy where i'm like uh, i feel like he's probably serious about it and everyone around him too like his his buddies friends Dana White, Joe Rogan, yeah. um, his coaches are like, oh, no, we think he's serious because he promised his mother that he was done. Right. The way he – I mean, he – I think he still lives with his mother. I think he – like, family is everything, Yeah, that guy. And he lives, like, in Dagestan where he's treated like a king. He'll never work a day in his life. You know exactly. what I mean? So, well, I, mean, I to think me, he'll probably be done. He doesn't seem like a guy who's motivated by the money. He doesn't seem no. like he's doing this for the money, which, of course, when you look at McGregor, like, he's always thinking five steps ahead monetarily. Like, Prize fighter, I, yeah. Exactly. So, like, when I saw that he – I was with my wife's family, and we were, like, sitting there, and I'm with our, with our cousins, and we're just talking. I'm like, holy shit, he retired. Like, holy yeah. – I, th- I think he's serious, and he'll and go out. Like, you could see he was taking his gloves off in the cage, and you could, they had, had, like, a camera shot that kind of, like, foreshadowed it. Yeah. And I tweeted, I was like, he about to retire and once he did it wasn't even you know nobody nobody's jaws dropped nobody was shocked everyone kind of went huh okay yeah that makes sense you know he's saying i can't go on without my dad anymore his dad was his coach he's breaking down and crying after that win yeah how can you argue it i always think about dana white in situations like that like did he know going into that because like with the i don't think he did his reaction in the post-fight presser he seemed upset and almost upset in a way he was saying pre- fight that he had like something special planned for Khabib people were speculating that maybe GSP hit him up and they were going to try to make that yeah that's the fight right you know make Khabib for the 30 you know um but people were speculating maybe Danny was Dana was upset about like Khabib retiring and them not being able to get that I don't know if that's true yeah I mean I I don't think Dana knew I definitely don't think he knew it's like I think about like when Andrew Luck retired out of nowhere. And of course, my first reaction is like, yo, the organization has to be pissed. But like, I mean, you had Cejudo retire uh, after his fight yeah. like recently. So like, there's a lot of guys that are doing this. But luckily for the UFC, they have so much talent that comes up. Like, it's never like you're out of fighters necessarily, which is and even play. if you're out for a second, yeah. someone new will come up, you know, in a year from now. Well, who are we not talking about? Like, if, as a UFC guy, like who are the fighters to you that are going to be the next generation? Because I mean, there's a lot of guys that are, are on their way out that are like were the original like og like these were the fucking guys like who are the next guys that you're like these are going to be the like the big pay-per-view guys i've actually tried to get a couple of them on my podcast recently getting at the ground level because i feel like that's like the perfect thing with barstool yeah that's like, really get in with the prospects and then once they blow up like stoolies will actually have that organic fandom and actually right. be able to look back at interviews and be like oh wow look at that one guy that i'll mention his name is jack shore his nickname is tank he's got a fight coming up soon um 
he's this amazing uh, submission artist. For, uh, he's Welsh. Uh, he's a huge Oasis fan too. So I had him on my podcast, and we oh, talked we're going to talk Oasis, bro. Yeah, oh, it was amazing. Oh yeah. So I'll recommend him, and then someone from just this past weekend, Philip Hawes, Hawes, who had a first round knockout, eighteen seconds, just wow. demolished this dude. He was hyped up for a long time, for years, as John Jones' hardest sparring partner. Everyone oh, said he was like this gym warrior. But every time he would be under the bright lights, he would just fall short. Right. The guy's actually from my hometown in Little Ferry, oh, New Jersey. And my like uh, siblings went to high school with him. I don't know him. They, they barely well, there's know him. Your they, connection, were like, oh, yeah, was, they were like, he was friendly the entire time. Um, so I always root for him based on that. And he made his UFC debut on Saturday, 18-second knockout, like a fucking awesome, just demolished this dude. Beautiful. So I think, I think he can actually, if he recognizes his potential, what everyone set up for him, he could be a, a real challenge and a real problem for that division. So I would say Phil Hawes, keep an eye on him, and Jack Tank Shore. Those are, those are my two names to keep an eye on. We have two dudes from my neighborhood, from, from like Northeast Philly area, that are, are doing really well. And we, we are like – Philly breeds fighters in all aspects. Like we always – it's boxing and boxing boxing. But um, I forget the kid's name. It's Bradley, I think it is. Or Brady, Sean Brady. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean Brady actually dates a friend of mine from high school. So, like, oh, he's, cool. a, he's a Northeast Philly kid. It's like a small through. world thing, yeah. It is, 100%. And there's another kid, and I, I don't know his name, but he's new in the UFC, but he's actually a Philly cop who is leaving. Like, he'll leave on the weekend, go fight in UFC, and come back and work a shift as a cop in the morning. So, like, Philly's all over the place. And I, I, I find it interesting, like, that it's the small world connection for you as well. Yeah. But as, as far as small world goes, I mean, we got. I have to ask you, what the fuck's going on with your boy, dude? What's up with McGregor? Where, where, when are we seeing him again? I have no idea. They're saying <laughs> January twenty third is the date. They like carved out this date specifically for McGregor. Yeah. McGregor wants this fight against Dustin Poirier to happen at one hundred and seventy pounds. He's saying let's fight at one hundred seventy, not have one hundred and seventy. And then yeah, and then that's like his natural walk around right. weight, basically. And then you know he wanted to fight Khabib for the one hundred fifty pound five pound title. After that, Khabib's out of the picture now. Right. Do you put the title onto that fight? That might piss off fans. I don't know. Do you like just give them a title shot because they're coming off uh, like Poirier would be coming off that Khabib loss, and you know, do you give it to Gaethje who just fought Khabib? I don't know what you do with that whole situation. Right. I do think we'll see him in the cage in January. I do think he will step into the cage. I, I put mean, that like a eighty percent chance. His last fight, he was obviously impressive against Cowboy, but I mean, looking at. Your whole, I feel like your rise in Barstool has been in a way attributed to like your relationship or like your love of Conor McGregor at the beginning, yeah. right? You had the fucking yeah. meme of you freaking out. What fight was that, by the way? That he was. That, that was you, the Conor fight. That was the, the cowboy fight. The, the cowboy, cowboy fight. fight. Yeah. 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 It, McGregor has a really weird thing in my neighborhood that like so he fought Eddie Alvarez, who was a Northeast Philly guy, the underground king. Yeah. So Eddie Alvarez is a guy from. He actually like lives in my wife's old neighborhood. So like he's just like a local dude, and we had. I was at a bar and there was like downtown and I thought it was going to be all, you know, Eddie Alvarez love. Like it was all that. The whole room was Irish flags, but dudes yeah. from my neighborhood who were like, let's get a fucking McGregor. Cause they all think they're Irish for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Like, have you had interaction with McGregor at all? Like, have you gotten to yeah. that point? Oh my God. What's that like? So I've had like, I protested his court date when he threw <laughs> the dolly, when he threw the dolly at the bus and shattered yeah, the window. Yeah. I protested that and his lawyer, like, let me follow him to the bail bondsman's place. And I met him briefly outside of that. And then McGregor like followed me on social media and stuff, shouted me out at like a press conference or something. It was like an open workout. I think Yeah. yeah. he just like pointed to me. He's like, yo, Robbie. <laughs> and that was just crazy. He said my name. 
And then uh, he gave me a ticket actually to the Khabib fight. So I didn't actually like uh, talk to him in person, but his manager, Audi Attar, who if you've watched like the Notorious documentary, I did watch the Notorious any of that stuff. He, he's the guy that's like Connor's manager the entire way through. Yeah. Um, he hit me up like on my way to the fight. I was on the flight to Vegas. I'll never forget opening the DM. And it was like, hey, <sighs> Connor appreciates all the support over the years. He has a ticket for you. Like, just making sure you don't have a ticket already, correct? And I was like, no. I wound up showing up, and I was sitting next to McGregor's security guard for the fight. Oh and uh, he placed me there, apparently because I was getting, like, death threats from Khabib fans. I was <laughs> making jokes and barstool content, and yeah, they were, like, yeah, yeah. not down with the humor. Um, so that was really cool, yeah. I've had, from the brief interactions I've had with Connor, he's been amazing. And, like, his team more than anything, Coach Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. his teammates Peter Queeley, uh, James Gallagher, Kean Cowley, like all of those people have been awesome. Dylan Dennis even. All those names sound like guys that should be in Conor McGregor's like, team. That's the most <laughs> Irish shit I've ever heard in yeah. my entire life. Dude, well, sorry. So we go from UFC. Let's move into the next interest, which is where we're going to really grow out. Let's talk music. Yeah, because yeah, Because yeah. I, I know you as kind of like the diehard music guy in Barstool, which is why I've always wanted you on this, right? So, like, we, this is always the first question we ask as far as, like, when we bring our, mu- our music friends on. What was the first record you ever bought with your own money? We just – so I actually just did this as a blog for Barstool. Oh, I really? Asked everyone at Barstool this question. And I said my answer it, – it was kind of split. Some people had these answers where it was like, this record went on to shape my musical taste, yep. everything that I love for the rest of my life. And other people were like, I bought this because I thought this one song was good when I was six. <laughs> And I never listened to it ever again. I unfortunately fall into that second category. No way. What was it? I think the first CD I ever bought with my own money was the Drake and Josh soundtrack because <laughs> I liked the theme. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here, dude. You ever here supporting but, Drake Bell's music career? Exactly. I loved it. Bro, I wanted to be Drake <laughs> Bell. I had like the red Stratocaster. Dude, I was all about Drake Bell at, at the time of that show. But the, the sort of story behind that is because my older brother's 12 years older than me. Oh, okay. My entire musical taste, everything I'm into still to this day, comes from him. And he's a drummer and just had this like CD shelf straight out of a movie. Like, you need that guy in your dude. You need that Absolutely. Guy so he had every CD I w- ever would have wanted. Yeah. That's why my first CD that I bought was not one that was actually like a good one. It was just kind of like a one that he wouldn't have bought. That's so, so like, other than that, it, I had a, a Kiss CD. It was the greatest hits compilation called You Wanted the Best, You Got the Best. There you go. I had a, another one called Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits. And I had uh, Motley Crue anthology tapes that were uh, Red, White, and Crue, I think. That so, was like, my- those were, I, I just absolutely, like, Warm broke out. those CDs. Yeah. Dude, mine were, and this is, because I, I do fall into, like, the category of, like, it shaped my musical taste forever. There was a music store across the street from my grandma's house. It was called Pat's Music. And I walked across, I was probably, like, 12. I was, like, a kid. And, because uh, my dad had records all over the house my whole musical taste at that point was just everything my dad fed me he was a musician so just acdc stones beatles weren't allowed in my house because my dad thought the beatles were for pussies uh because my dad was like a blues guy my dad was like a diehard like oh zeppelin petty heartbreaking i know well no trust me i got into the beatles later Al- <laughs> Spoyd, but so uh but for me my mom only listens to three bands my mom listens to bon jovi my mom listens to springsteen and my mom listens to uh frank sinatra like basically just jersey i I absolutely let warms my heart i feel like i'm in good company we're at home here yeah so (laughs) i walked across the street and i bought bruce springsteen's greatest hits and bruce is still god to me 
and I bought Kanye West College Dropout, which had just come oh, wow. out. And rap was like not allowed in my house. My dad was like, I don't get it. It's not rap my is house. crap. Rap is crap. It was like, it's my dad always made me explain why I liked something if I was going to bring it into his house. It was like, I couldn't bring something in and then he would look at it and be like, what the fuck is this? Like, why do you like it? Do you like it because your friends like it or do you like it because you like it? And I'll always appreciate that. Yeah. But Kanye and, and Bruce are like two of my all timers. And it's, it, it is a situation where it fucking warped my brain into what it is today. So, of course. What is it right now? Like, we're looking at the rock world, right? So, obviously, you're a rock guy. And it's in a weird spot in a certain perspective because I don't think right now we know exactly what the image is. Like, what the fuck is going on at this point? I don't think there's a problem with bands because I think there's a lot of amazing bands out right now. But I, I was listening to the Tommy Lee interview, and one of the things you guys talked about was the Machine Gun Kelly album. And I know you're pro-Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah, oh, yeah, big time. So we had an argument on the podcast a couple weeks ago where I listened to it, and I came and I said, the songs are fucking fantastic. Like he did a, an amazing job, and it was like almost like a period piece. Like they, they was like totally, yeah. It's, it's like it, almost like an homage, like a tribute to that sound. Yeah, hundred percent. My whole argument though was, I don't know why it needed to exist. And this is where, like, I think we differ on this. Like, I think as a musician who knows a lot of people who work in that field, like the it's so much easier for record labels to get behind someone who's established in one perspective, and then it's like a novelty in a, in a certain way then supporting bands like the Menzingers and the Wonder Years who make the same type of music that I'm I'm fucking in love with. Of course, but yeah. There was like a part of me that like in like the industry perspective I was like this is kind of corny but like you can't deny the fact that the songs are great. Yeah, there and there is still is like a pushback on that album. I've been talking to so many people like in that pop punk industry actually mm -hmm. like specifically about it like how do you feel about it? Do you like it? Do you think it's like this is not good for it? Do you think this is good for it? I think both sides are very interesting perspectives. Yeah. But I, I just think, so MGK, looking back, it's not necessarily him just jumping in. If it was that, I'd feel a little eh about it. Yeah. He, he was a, a, like a punk kid at heart. Right. Um, and at his first shows, he was always covering Blink. He was always playing guitar to What's My Age Again. Blink, he would always say there's videos of him as like a 19-year-old being like, Blink's my favorite band. There's a video of him meeting Travis Barker. That's cool. out about it. Like, like he would be me. So when I saw all that, and then I heard Bloody Valentine. And honestly, The Dirt was like a big factor in it for me, too. Awesome movie, when by the way. he played Tommy, and yeah. I saw like how dedicated he got, how seriously he took it. He, he has got the Tommy Lee Mayhem tattoo on his wrist. And all the, like, the, the makeup he had to do just to play totally. Tommy Lee was fucking and, crazy. And there was just like a respect he brought to it where his next tour after that, he was doing a Shout at the Devil. He was doing drums every so night. Sick. He was just playing that on drums because it was like – he was actually putting kids my age onto Tommy Lee, making them think that Motley Crue was cool. And I was yep. like, geez, that, I mean, like, I can't ask for anything better. So I saw that. I saw the way that he sort of started making people in my office text me about, like, yo, this Bloody Valentine song's kind of fire. Like, yeah. what's the new pop punk stuff? And then I put him on to Wonder Years, and then I put him on to Seaway, and then I put him on to Neck Deep, and, yep. you know, these bands. And that's, like, for me, that's where... I get excited because I'm like all time low put out like my favorite record of the year this year, wake up sunshine. It is really good. And I'm like, okay, that's what MGK putting out. His album is going to do for me is everyone that tells me it's good. I'm going to be like, now check out the best pop punk record. Exactly. Of the year. Like, I think see where the genre is now. I think that like guys, like you brought this up on the podcast with Tommy Lee, but talking about uh, how post Malone doing the Nirvana cover set, like it is weird to me. And I, I brought this up. I was driving the other day and I said, I, I was like, 
it's weird to me that I feel like kids today like take pride in not knowing things from like 10 years ago. Like they like, there's like totally. this like thing. And it's weird to me because as a kid, like I wanted to know everything. Like if I didn't, if I couldn't talk to an adult and like bring up Bob Seger or bring up like shit like that, like I felt like out of the loop. So I wanted to know everything before me. I think you're going to see a lot more guitar music coming through. Like me a too. lot more. Which is funny, too, because I brought up the Menzingers and I brought up the Wonder Years, and we had Will Yip um, on the podcast last week. He produces for them, and that was yeah. we got into a long discussion about, like, the return of the guitars. I know for me personally, I was in Nashville last week writing, and I – during quarantine, I wrote a lot of poppier shit. I wrote a lot of shit on bass with, like, all these, like, different – I'm out of it now. I just want to. I just want to do some ignorant shit with guitars. That's all I want. Bro. That's all <laughs> you got I it want. out of your system. <laughs> I did 100. percent Well, all right. So we do a segment every week. Uh, it's called "What the Fuck Have You Been Listening To?" And I asked you to pick three things right now that you're into. Like, what are you listening to right now? Yeah. So I wrote them down. I actually didn't know you were a Wonder Years guy. I oh, kind yeah. of like was was. I don't know if you are or not. Billy band. Billy guy. I, I knew that. So I have a Wonder Years song on my list. I'll just start go. off with that one. I threw on. I just want to sell out my funeral. Which is the finale <laughs> of Greatest Generation, my favorite Wonder Years record. Great one record. of my favorite records ever. One of my next tattoos will be from that song. I love just the whole way that I'm sure you know this. It's if you have never listened to the record, this song is like a, a brief version of it. They use an interpolation of every single song from it as the finale and it's just like mind-blowing it reminds me of almost like a jesus of suburbia type one of uh, my favorite pop, songs of all you know time what i mean yeah some yeah, people absolutely. were tweeting me about it today and i just watched green day's uh storytellers from dude VH1 so good it's like the only time they ever played that front to back it's so so so, so good, good dude. so tight on that um but i have that from the wonder years i have uh an old song from the verve uh lucky man let's go absolutely been like wild about the verve through quarantine so lucky man and i've been listening to there's a version on richard ashcroft's spotify from the chris evans breakfast show oh voice is just a little deeper it's got that grapple about it i think that's awesome and then the third one is a new recommendation uh seaway still blue they these guys put out a record I think two weeks ago maybe not even at this point it is probably my second favorite pop punk album of the year right behind that all-time low one my favorite album they've ever put out they're an ontario pop punk band Sweet. um stoolies actually i think they're spitting chicklets fans no shit so shout out to seaway for that yeah 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 after i tweeted about it uh they followed me and i realized like they had tweeted about spitting chicklets before and i was like oh this is awesome Bro, by the way spitting chicklets uh our guitar player eric because me and ken are part of my take guys on the road we have awesome. in, in our car basically the entire way that we go on tour goes according to what barstool podcasts are getting dropped at that time Eric, <laughs> diehard spitting chicklets guy like can quote it like line for line um but so i'm, I'm looking at your shirt too because you came on with the boston manor shirt like i know oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I know you're down for the pop punk shit dude i but, love uh, it yeah I'm, I'm deep in the scene yeah Bro, did, now here's a question. As a Wonder Years guy, have you ever listened to uh, Soupy Side Project, uh, Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties? I have, yeah. So I'm, I love that record because that to me is almost like his interpretation of like Gaslight Anthem, like kind of that Americana, like right before Bruce Springsteen. Exactly. Yeah, of course, yeah. So right before <laughs> quarantine, we had a, whole, a ton of shit planned this year, right? But we had to go around because our saxophone player, Will, was going on tour with Aaron West in the Roaring Twenties because their saxophone player couldn't make the tour. Oh, so cool. we were working around Aaron West in the Roaring Twenties with our fucking tour schedule. So let me ask you this, by the way. And Go I know ahead, man. 
I shouldn't be the one asking you. No, I, I appreciate I was it. listening to some of your guys' stuff, and I yeah. like it a lot. Thank you very How much. How would you describe the sound of your band? Because I was like, what are, like, what are the inspirations here? We talked a little bit. Like, you were like, let's make a song like Maria, yes. Green Day. And I'm like, that's cool. But, like, what, like, what, what's the, Bro, what are your it, inspirations? It's so funny because we are so varied. So if we're on the road, there's six to seven of us, sometimes eight. Like, we are a big fucking band. Yeah. And individually, we're all different. Um, but like when it comes down to time to make music, like we always try and stay in a popular format. It's what I, it's what I enjoy. That's what I write to, but it's all depending on kind of where we are at the time. Like our first stuff we cut in Nashville. Like we, I graduated college, drove down there. We got an indie deal and went down there and it sounds like a Nashville record. Like it sounds like it's much more Americana. We came back to Philly after that and we were like, fuck that shit. That's not where we are right now. And then we went a little bit poppier. We wanted to bring the horns in and make it a little more soul. That's what I really liked about it. Like the way you guys bring the horns in is really cool to me. And even like uh, reminded me a little bit. I love OAR. I've been getting into OAR over since since I got hired at Barstool pretty much. Didn't really yeah. know them. I didn't go to college. So I missed out on like yeah, the, going to college. The, the hacky sacks OAR, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I always say to Mark Roberts, who's now a huge Dooley, I've never heard an OAR song I don't like. They're always just so, like, pleasing to the ear. Yep. And, 100%. like, you guys had that with your sound immediately when I went to your Spotify. Like, you guys hit me up. I was like, let me check out their Spotify. Definitely do the podcast, whatever. And I was like, this is just fucking pleasing music. I was so, grooving to it. But now what we're trying to do is, and especially when we're going to be working with different producers and we're trying to push it in a different direction, like there's stuff that we do that is more guitar driven, but I feel like during the past year, we've strayed away from that. And right now, like I just need to get back to where we started and I just want to do fucking two and a half minute sprint songs, fucking straight up. That's what I brought up Maria. And I was like, yeah. that's what I'm looking for. I just want something catchy. I want something short and to the fucking point. And I have something I'm going to send you after this. That is kind yes, of where we're do. going. It's, it's incredibly ignorant. Erica sings it and I do harmonies. It is mean as fuck. And that's where we're going. I'm sending over our, our producer 15 songs after this that are going to get cut in probably January. So Holy we have a lot shit. going on. How, uh, and Sorry, I'm, I'm. No, no, please ask questions. I like it. <laughs> okay, okay. When you when you're songwriting, yep. you guys have like eight people. Yeah. Are you guys all bringing stuff to the table? Like, what's the songwriting process like? I'm a songwriter. It's professionally what I do. I okay. I, I write songs in Nashville. So I, I think that's fascinating. Like I, the songwriting process, something yeah. that I don't know very much about, and I would love to learn more about. Bro, anytime you want to sit down, we could fucking do a podcast on that. I'll explain how this shit. We goes. should. It's hard to explain because it's very much like um, you pull it out of nowhere. Like, and okay. people write in different ways. For me, I get an inspiration instantaneously. It takes me 15 minutes. If it takes longer than 15 minutes to get the bones of the song, crump it up, throw it out. It's not real. It's Are not you lyrics first, music first, both together? So in, in the band, I write all the lyrics. Like, I, I write all the lyrics. I'm a lyricist. It's what I do. But as far as the music goes, we do that communally. So I'll bring an idea for the bones of the song. Like, it's just all acoustic guitar vocals on my iPhone. And when I come to the studio, we take that as the base of what we do. But then, you know, Will will send me horn parts and be like, this is what we should do. And then Ken will lay a bass, bass line. And then Jimmy, our drummer, is like my songwriting muse. That's who I, I pick his brain. He chops the songs up. And uh, generally how it goes is I write a five and a half minute song. And then Jimmy says, three of these minutes don't fucking need to be here. So then we, we reformat. But like, it also goes like when I'm in Nashville, the way it goes down there is they put you in a room in an office building, basically, and you sit down with somebody you've never met before and you just start. They go, why are you? What do you want to write about? I don't know. What do you want to write about? And then we just throw a random fucking idea out there. Um, I enjoy for myself more. I like to sit down and 
it's never like I write most of my songs in the car. A lot of the times I get an idea and I take my voice memos out and I just hum into my phone. Uh, the song Legends Don't Die, which is like uh, is our number one song on Spotify. Yep. I wrote on my birthday last year uh, driving to the studio and it was right after Mac Miller died. And that's what I, I wrote that about that. But I hummed the entire three minutes into my phone, took it to the studio. And two weeks later, we cut it like it's wow. pretty much instantaneous. But like if you ask a different songwriter, like we'll talk about Oasis, right? If you talk to Noel Gallagher, he has a completely different process. It's not linear. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a you're pulling it out of nowhere. If you, if somebody ever tells you that they're an amazing songwriter, like they're kind of an asshole in a way because you don't even know where this shit comes from. It's all, yeah. it's luck. It's even Noel bringing him up. Like he, he has the famous story about how like they were trying to record, I think like bring it on down or something for yeah. to record the first single on definitely maybe. Great and then they album. just couldn't get it right. And he's like, all right, let me go try to write something else. And he wrote supersonic in like, you know 15 minutes all the best like okay that's like one of the greatest rock and roll songs ever written and you just did it while the band was eating chinese food i feel like me (laughs) and you are on the same wavelength a lot of these bands that like were like because i put up the green day thing and i didn't expect anybody to give a fuck and then i saw you hit me up right away and i was like yo bro nobody's putting maria up on their story i was like that's i I remember very vividly being like once again like 12 13 and i had international super hits on cd and i that did not leave my disc man for like it's, it's just <laughs> Billy Joe Armstrong writes amazing hooks, amazing vocal melodies. And uh, I, I will die on this hill that I think that American Idiot is the most underappreciated album of all time because, first off, it saved rock and roll in the mid 2000s. Um, Still and, the last mainstream rock and roll album, for, like for my money, in terms of I'm like saying. actual singles on the radio, constantly being played, music videos on TV. Yep. Could not escape it. It's like Green Day, and I think the Foo Fighters are also a little bit underrated in that perspective because Dave Grohl's always going to have the shadow of Nirvana over him. But those two bands, consistent. But like these, by look- the way, we're talking about these two bands. These are pretty much my two white whales. Like Dave Grohl is the number one. Oh and my Billy god, Joe yes. may be the number two. Like the Dave Grohl I have. So I have Dave Grohl's like the yeah, feather. Yeah, the feather tattoo. tattoo. Hell yeah! And my next tattoo, I'm getting Billy Joe has like a, a photo booth strip there, yep. and I'm getting a photo booth strip of the Beatles on the back of my arm, like Dude. based on Billy Joe's. So like I take my favorite rock stars and I just do their their tattoos. I'm like I want to look like them. They're so cool. <laughs> when you when you brought up kind of like the idea of like what do you think like what do you sound like right? To me, like a lot of the way I picture what we do, I take in the dynamics of my favorite bands. And the reason why I love American Idiot is because what I try and do in a lot of our music is subtlety and then explosive choruses. And when I think about things like uh, Give Me Novocaine, and I think about things yes. like like uh, that whole record has these like moments of subtlety and then explosion that makes you pay attention. And to me, like Jesus of Suburbia, you brought it up, is like fucking unbelievable and i'll leave you on this 2004 bohemian bohemian rhapsody (laughs) bro so we were in college and we were playing a show at this bar and uh, we were trying to pay for our first ep so we're doing four hour cover shows this is like 2014 like this is we're playing four hour cover shows there was three of us at this time and uh we decided as a joke to do jesus of suburbia and it's like a fucking shitty delco bar where it's just like right like just like old dudes drinking and then our smitties exact basically exactly (laughs) what it is right so we fucked up i we just like i was playing an acoustic guitar we had like fucking three of us and uh we fucked up jesus of suburbia so bad it's a five-part song i forgot part of it and uh we end it and i apologize to the crowd and then we start playing hootie and the blowfish after that and uh somebody fucking smoked me in the face with a beer bottle 
like and so i will never play jesus of suburbia again out of fear oh no we we had you know we had that with pup punk with people throwing drinks on stage uh, and once it starts you know it just it keeps goes and, and oh. we had we had so it was roan the the eagles had just beat the patriots in the super bowl and we were in boston and roan was like oh. you guys are throwing like tom brady and oh uh, <laughs> yeah started raining and people started throwing full cans yeah. bottles we were all bruised up the next day i was getting angry giving the middle finger to the crowd the, the throwing stuff please well, don't, don't we, throw stuff at people ken is gonna <laughs> laugh ken is gonna laugh so hard at this but there's this old story we opened for or we're not open but like in like our early days like there was like this bar called finnegan's wake in fucking northern liberties and it was just like you went there to bust your like you you you, you cut your teeth at spots like this and yep. there was always this band that played after us called beer me and their shtick was they wanted you to pelt them with beers while they were on stage. Oh, yeah. They're, they're a gimmick band. Yikes. <laughs> gimmick band. So they, like, their whole thing was the entire time you're supposed to pelt them with beer cans. And they would get fucking kicked out of every single show they played because they would just be trashing venues. So. That, yeah, it's, that's horrible. They were the, uh, the big me video replacing Mentos exactly. with <laughs> beer. Let, let me ask you a question. Why bass? Why was so, it the bass for you? It was based for me for two reasons, really. One, because Nikki Six and Gene Simmons were the two coolest people in their oh, yeah. respective, you know, sort of bands. And because my brother was a drummer. So I was like, one, the drums are probably the coolest, but I'm not going to be a drummer because he's already the drummer. And yep. two, the bass players, you know, the rhythm section, the drummers yep. connected. So I was just like, you know, if me and my brother were ever in a band together, that, that would be the coolest connection. Bass players are always the best people you want to have beers with. And that's my experience. And I will say, can our bass player is the guy in our band that if I was going to say like, that's who you want to have a beer with. And like, like a normal a human subdued, being, like chill yeah. guys. Yeah. Bass players are <laughs> in their own world. Like they have, there's a very specific personality type of people who are bass players and they're always the nicest fucking people. Like, I you sort don't, of agree with that. You don't want to like hang out with the lead singer. Cause they're all, we're all fucking in our <laughs> own heads. Like we're all assholes. And the drummers are usually insane. So you usually want to, stick with the bass player because they're usually the nice ones so yeah yeah so gene simmons and nikki six and nikki six yeah and who else would be like a big influence for you as a bass player as a mike dirt like green day definitely mike dirt he would yeah. be one of my favorites of all time longview is one of the first bass lines that everyone has to learn you right? have to learn like, that. oh my god yeah um zach merrick is the all-time low bass player and he's a guy who kind of takes the pop punk style of like sticking to root notes and yep. throws in these awesome like jazz-like fills um that yeah, they're I really, a very really talented enjoy. band yeah oh god they're they're my favorite band and people always look at me like i'm crazy when i say that but i'm like oh my god if you dive into their albums that's like my favorite pop punk in the world they they nail that like perfect blink style sound but yeah. with a little more maturity and like especially in the lyrics nowadays if you listen to wake up sunshine i'm telling you that's just a fantastic record and i mean the things that catch my ear from them like weightless will always be my favorite song by that because it's just i always look for choruses and it's the yeah. fucking perfect chorus. maybe they, it's not my weekend but it's gonna be, my, be year. my year i mean you see any live show and Every single person in the venue is screaming that at the top of their lungs. You know, like it's just that's, that's one of those songs that makes people like feel things. That's there's yeah. one, that's one of those songs that I like. I have a lot of people on here. Like, um, I had Kenny Carkeet from the band AWOL Nation on here who wrote, um, Sale. And yeah. so I've written with him in LA and I told him to his face when I met him. Like, I go into his studio, I've never met him before. And I looked in his eyes, I was like, fuck you for that song. Like, why, why did you get to write that? That's what I would go to the guys in All Time Low and just be like, fuck you for Weightless, dude. That yeah. shit is perfect. Yeah. 
and, and they would say that about like it's funny we're talking about like our musical interests and like common interests they have a lot of similar ones too like i know alex is crazy about foo fighters crazy about oasis like he always says like i fuck dave Grohl for writing uh everlong Dude, he's like i wish i could saying. write everlong yeah and the thing is though dave Grohl's not somebody i could ever say that to because he would just be like yeah man thank you like i, I know yeah like, you'd yeah, be way too nice about it yeah <laughs> we've had numerous conversations on this podcast about the fact that dave Grohl needs to run as the rock's running mate as his vp so then it would be rock and grohl that would be their fucking ticket they'd be rock and grohl i dave grohl would never want the responsibility but i would take him as the vice president in a fucking heartbeat dude i was watching an interview with him recently where he was talking about uh his barbecuing he loves barbecuing and he just apparently will like barbecue uh, and cater for free random charity events just on the side and doesn't tell anybody about him he's just like oh yeah yeah, i gotta make 200 steaks for a charity (laughs) event tomorrow i don't know if you saw I don't know if you saw this. This was huge on the internet. Um, during quarantine, there's this guy named Pat Finnerty in Philadelphia who has like a it's like an Instagram live show. Oh, I did see this, yeah. And so Pat runs live band karaoke at one of our spots called Johnny Brenda's. And he's he's worked with a lot of different musicians like Sun Little and stuff like that. And he's been he did this thing called the Grolathon, where he said he was gonna stay on IG Live until Dave Grohl came on. And all he had to do was sing the chorus to Money, Money for Nothing by the Dire Straits and Sting. And nine hours in, Dave Grohl just comes on and goes, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? And then he did it because he's just the fucking coolest guy alive. Of course. He's the best. Would you say, like, if you could see one band live, would you pick Oasis? Yeah. Like, heyday Oasis, just like 95, like 95, fucking what's 96, yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it, would ha- it, it would just have to be them. Other than that, it would probably be like 92 Nirvana, like yeah. fretting Nirvana. Oh, my God. Come the on. energy at one of those shows. Paramount, live at the Paramount, 91. Oh would you God. rather Would you rather see, and this was, I keep bringing it up because we haven't had anybody to talk about this with in a while, but would you rather take Nirvana's catalog or Foo Fighters catalog? So, I mean, this is obviously as a massive fan of both. I've got my phone case here is Kurt Cobain. And I've got the same picture, like oh, framed see, on my now, wall. Now we have a we have a fucking uh, a third party here who can decide finally because this was a huge division in the band. Uh, I'm I'm such a massive fan of both. I gotta go Foo Fighters. Thank I honestly, you. yeah, I go Thank Foo Fighters. Like, Me too. There's, there's just so much more, especially now with how much variety there is in their entire discography. Like, look at yeah. Echo Silence, Patience and Grace. Just as just take that record as like Bro. an acoustic masterpiece you said kanye you're, you're a big kanye guy i just yep. watched this joe rogan thing oh and my, my i'm bringing favorite, this i'm bringing so something up to you from thing, that my favorite takeaway from the entire thing yeah. was he called one of his albums i think it was jesus is king which jesus is king he, was, was his record yeah, yeah. But he says it's a sonic painting and that's how i feel about echo silence patience and grace i'm like that is just a sonic Here, painting it's perfect. here's some here's here's some nerd stuff for you as far as like musicians go so the period of time like that in your honor, and I always bring up um, American Idiot for this too. It was a period of time in rock music for some reason that everything was super compressed. Like yeah. everything, if you listen to Echo Silence, Paces and Grace, and then you listen to Sonic Highways, which is like one of the more recent records. Yep. Echo Silence, Paces and Grace is very quiet because they fucking compressed everything down. But if you just listen to that straight through, there is so many fucking songs on that record, so dude. Many. But honestly, the second to last song on that is probably my favorite Foo Fighters song. And what it's like it? a weird, but honestly. Oh, great fucking song. Yeah. So come, come Alive is off that record. And that's one of my favorite. Come so Alive. 
a long road to ruin. What long the fuck? road to ruin? So good. Even home, just the Shit. piano, like Dave Grohl and a piano. Yeah, finishes that record off, and it's like the fucking drummer from Nirvana is. It's a sweet song about wanting to go home. It's unbelievable. This record, dude. like the versatility in that guy. I mean, he, dude, he he did like Virginia, a modern Paul McCartney type. He did me, Virginia like. Moon with fucking Nora Jones on the acoustic side of In Your Honor, like. It would be interesting to me, though, and this was the other side of the argument, was if Kurt had more time. Totally. What would that's, we have seen? That's, that's the other side to the argument, a yeah. thousand percent. If, if Nirvana put out as many records as the Foo Fighters, holy shit, I don't know, but yeah. Would they have ever taken it that far? Like, I feel like... Uh, yeah, they might have combusted. They might have been an burns, Oasis type as well. A star that burns that bright cannot last, I think, is a thing. And Dave Grohl's more of like a... He's just a steady dude. And yeah. I mean, even for them, like... I, they have so many guys in that band that it's like a come and go. And like, he's just a machine. Dave, I always wonder what it would be like to be in a studio with him or Jack White, two guys that if I was in there, they can do every single thing better than everybody in the band. Like Dave Grohl could walk in there and, and tell Taylor Hawkins to go home. Like it's weird. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Who um, would and, be your number one? Like if you could sit down and write a song with anyone, would it be Bruce? Uh, I'm, see, the thing is, though, I feel like I could write a Bruce Springsteen song because I just know him so well. Like, I feel like I could do all you his tropes. You feel like you would sit down with him and, like, accidentally, yeah, like, just try I would to start, do the tropes? I would start doing my Bruce Springsteen impersonation, <laughs> <laughs> and it would just go like that. Oh, man, that's a fucking amazing question. Like, who do I, like, as a fucking songwriter, like, really, like, die hard? I'm a big uh, Jason Isbell, who's more of, like, an Americana guy. I'm a huge Jason Isbell fan. I'm, I'm a nerd songwriter, so, like, there's certain people that I just need to be there with. Um, yeah. And I would pick like like Mark Ronson is someone who is oh, not yeah. someone. So Mark Ronson, I didn't know. I've I, that is why our shit got so funky and poppy during quarantine because I was diving into Mark Ronson. He produced the last Queens of the Stone Age record, Villains, which I absolutely fucking loved. Yeah. Um. But as far as like classic bands, like I mean Bruce would have. I just on its face, I'd have to say Bruce. Now, um, I'm a Jersey guy, but I'm going to say this, and hopefully you don't end the no, Zoom call right now and okay, hang no, it's up. Okay. It's I've okay. never been a big Bruce guy. It was always more of a Bon Jovi guy. Growing up, every time Bon Jovi comes to Giant Stadium, you know, yep. not MetLife Stadium, Giant Stadium, Giant motherfuckers. Stadium. Um, I grew up <laughs> literally, like, my block, I grew up Little Ferry, New Jersey. If you went up my block, made a left turn, and went one mile as Giant Stadium. So dude, every concert that would wow. be there, you would hear the fireworks from my front That's porch, so sick, all dude. that stuff, like the state fair every year, we would always go, all that. So I've seen Bon Jovi probably eight or nine times in my life. <laughs> all right, let me, let me nerd out real quick, because uh, we got to open for Bon Jovi um, at oh, Wells Fargo shit. Center, and uh, that was like, you know, that's like your first stadium experience. And you're like, what? I mean, of course. How yeah. am I here? How the fuck am I here? And, and as uh, Philly guys, you've probably seen a thousand shows there where you're like, holy million, shit, I'm on the I've, same stage that so-and-so has played. Like the I've Irving seen, Plaza thing. That was, I've seen so many Green Day shows from there, not live or like bro, I saw All Time Low live there. That's what that I'm saying. The thing for me is like people have been on this stage. Bro, just seeing, I've seen Bruce there. I've seen Dave Matthews like three times there. Like just like all like uh, the one of the first shows I ever saw was um, – Panic at the Disco, uh, Dashboard Confessional, The Main, and oh, shit. what a what a lineup, bro! And this was the pretty odd tour for ta- for Panic at the Disco. So this is like when they discovered Weed and the Beatles at the same time. <laughs> and uh, for uh, my wife is like a diehard Dashboard fan, so like that was that was like so sick. This was like I was like 
grade school, high school time. And I, I, I fucking love went. the main too. The main is Dude, so, such like, a good band. They're still people don't great know music. lovely little lonely. That's Oh yeah. Unbelievable record. Me and if, if uh, people want to check out more about that record, me and Ryan Dawson from all time low did a track by track breakdown of it on my so, podcast. And here's the thing. So we're doing a track by track breakdown of the, uh, the new Springsteen album on Thursday. And it's uh, Bruce Warren who runs the biggest triple A station in the country for the radio. Me and him, he, he's basically like, of my dad now like he's just my best friend i fucking love this guy <laughs> but anytime springsteen does anything we do like these long ass breakdowns i love that we need to pick an album out and just fucking go for it you give yes. me any, you give me we can do any oasis record like i'll go take yes. the time with you bro it's funny too because we were when i was in nashville last week i'm working with my 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 team down there and uh i wrote something and right away i was like it needs to be this and i put on cigarettes and alcohol and i was like we're just copying this we're fucking copy and paste it's it. We're done. So Fuck yeah. I got that demo. Uh, any, we, any Oasis record, I'll do. Any Beatles record, I'll do. I'll do any, any Beatles record. I'll do any. Dude, yeah. no. Just we'll do fucking. We'll do American Even Idiot. years we could do. Yeah, American yeah. Idiot would be American great. Idiot, yeah. That would be fun. I, I could Let's go deep that. on that. I'm down. Call me. We'll get this done. Hell yeah. Uh, before we get you out of here, because there's also this whole other side to you as well. And this is the side in Barstool. Like, this is another thing, like, I think makes you stand out because you're openly admitting, like, your fucking fascination with the nerd culture. Like, you fucking love Star Wars. You love Marvel. I wanted to bring this up because of the Kanye Rogan thing. And this is funny you brought it up earlier. But did, so in the interview, Kanye says that he thinks that the prequel trilogy is better than the last trilogy. And I want yeah. your opinion on that. I thought it was so funny. I wrote a blog on that because the way he like addressed it. So we put on the Kanye interview. It's me and Trent that live in this apartment. So we're right. sitting next to each other. He's a big Kanye fan. And it came out at the same time that UFC was on. So I had UFC on one TV, the Kanye interview on the other. He was sort of more paying attention to the Kanye interview. I was more paying attention to UFC. And then you hear <laughs> Kanye. He's like, listen, I'm about to get mad for the first time. <laughs> Like, I'm about to get angry. So I was like, oh, shit. He's about to go. about his universal label contract on, or Drake or, you know, how the media is treating him. I'm like, all right, let me pay attention to Kanye. He's got my full attention. And he's like, people are saying that the prequels weren't as good as the sequels. I was like, what the fuck? I was Where like, did am I this come a, from? Bro? I having a stroke right now? Like, what? I was like, is this a nightmare? I'm about to wake up. Like, Kanye is talking about Star Wars. Yeah, you're you're in some sort of haze. You don't know where where fuck am I? Right I don't know what was going on. If I took it took too much too much three G too much weed <laughs> or whatever happened. No free but, ads. No free ads. No free, no free ads. ads. But <laughs> I was like, what the hell is going on? And. I think his overall point – listen, I'm a Star Wars guy that I, – I love all Star Wars. Right. Like, even the worst Star Wars, I love. I love Jar -Jar the sequel Banks. trilogy. I love the prequel trilogy. Personally, I would say the sequel trilogy is uh, – we always say, like, the sequel trilogy, the individual movies were really good. The overall planning kind of fell apart. Yeah, 100%. The prequel trilogy, the individual movies kind of fell apart, but the overall story is very good. Right. So there's it's different strokes for different folks in my eyes. And Kanye's overall point of George Lucas's movies were his vision. He made them out of passion, and the Disney movies were formulaic and sort of like they made them out of, hey, if two plus two equals this, we can create a Star Wars movie. It's correct, but I always say, and even bringing it back to music, like, I like the formulaic shit. I'm a Greta Van Fleet fan, and I know people oh, hate them. For, yeah, this is something we can Led square Zeppelin up on, stuff, bro. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm an Oasis fan, and people get on them for Beatles shit. Yeah. I'm a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan, and people say every one of those movies is formulaic, and they all follow the same structure. I would agree with all that stuff, yeah. but I, I like all that stuff. So it's like uh, – Well, now you're touching on my shit because Jimmy R. Drummer is a huge Star Wars guy. I'm a peripheral Star Wars guy. I watch them all, but it's not my diehard thing. 
Now, talking Marvel, we had Michael Roman, who runs everything always. If you watch the theory videos online yep. at all, we had him on. And I nerded out for like an hour and a half. Um, I want Eric Voss from fucking uh, New Rockstars because I want to just go deep. <laughs> I'm excited, but I have absolutely no fucking idea what to expect moving forward. They can go in so many different goddamn directions. With Star Wars? No, with, with Marvel. Oh, with Marvel. Marvel. I, I don't know. Star Wars seems like they've kind of. You know, well, the Mandalorian's obviously. We got Mando, awesome. yeah, I know. We're yeah, just yeah. holding out for that. We got that this week. I'm so excited. But as far as Marvel goes, I'm fucking geeking out because I'm like, okay, we're gonna get go? weird with it now. Multiverse, Multiverse stuff exactly. with Doctor Strange, House of M stuff with you know, oh, okay, so, Vision, the Falcon. So this is how I know I'm talking yeah. to a guy who knows what he's talking about. You bring up House of M. Oh, of course. Um, come on, yeah, we got to bring the mutants in here. I am. See, that's my thing. Because the Fantastic Four is coming, obviously, which I'm excited about. But at the same time, this has been my point the entire time. How do you make the Fantastic Four's, like, I don't know, powers and characteristics cool in 2020 when I've seen Thanos throw a fucking moon at Tony Stark <laughs> on, on camera? The X-Men, on the other hand, I just want Wolverine. I just need to see it. I want to know how they bring him in and how Marvel can take that and go. It's interesting you say that because I kind of feel the opposite. I kind of really? feel like. Because I loved like the all the X Men movies that are Me already too. out. I oh, love. Yeah. So I'm sort of like, all right, we got that. Like, just someone do Fantastic Four, right? Because nobody's right done way. it right. Yeah, like I love, and there's like the fan casting of like putting John Krasinski, uh, John Krasinski, Emily. Emily yeah. I love that. Like, absolutely, go for that. That would be cool in my eyes. Just like do. I think you got to give us good casting. It's got to be like Guardians of the Galaxy, where like yes. you take Chris Pratt, you take Batista, you take Zoe Saldana, you take Bradley Cooper. Like they're gonna make this movie a success no matter what. If you give us really good Fantastic Four casting, give us Joaquin Phoenix as Doctor Doom or something, dude. Give I, us a really good Doctor Doom. Like so, one of the, the theories shit. that I have seen though is that so they casted Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror, mm -hmm. and I saw that. That's big. So when you look at it, Kang is a descendant of reed richards yeah and so jonathan majors is african-american so therefore if you're going to look at it then reed richards is going to be african-american so that's going to narrow down who it can be so i've been trying to like sleuth my way through like who is it going to be who's it going to be and i saw lakeith stanfield as like one of the front runners sign me the I'm fuck in up. on that sign me the fuck that. up like give me that. a weird spacey reed richards who's just a genius and says some weird shit like he does on atlanta give it to me feed it to and me also mentioning this i saw someone say uh we need to do the uh, to follow tradition basically make things right for whoever played the uh flame on johnny flame johnny yep, uh absolutely. johnny storm in fantastic four so put michael b jordan in that role because chris evans played him originally they yep. made it right with captain america so now it's like all right but now it's impossible he was, already you a new superhero. he was already killmonger so it's impossible. oh you you gotta you Make suspend up. reality you gotta make it right you yeah. gotta make it right <laughs> that that was without a doubt the fox one that came out in like 2016 was one of the worst movies i've ever seen in my entire life i don't think i've ever even seen it in its entirety i've seen don't. large chunks of it that are not good but i always think it's so funny whenever the director talks about it because he's always Dude, like please don't see it please it's don't watch good. it yeah yeah so he's like, like i swear it was my fault <laughs> miles teller wasn't bad he wasn't bad as reed richards um, I think that's good casting. I like I do that. too. And Michael Michael B. Jordan was fine. And exactly, Kate Mara, yeah. Kate Mara Michael was, B. Jordan, I'm pretty much like put him in anything at this point. Like Michael B. Jordan, I'm so in on. It's weird because I love everything that he does. Like I love everything he does. He's a great fucking actor. He's been a great actor since The Wire when he was a fucking kid. But I always have this weird thing with him the same way I had with Paul Walker where I feel like he's reading a cue card behind the camera sometimes. Like, <laughs> really, like sometimes he says some shit and I'm like, you said that weird. Like you, you were fucking dude. reading. Are you reading it? Or like, what's the deal here? But you I would. He's uh, he's directing Creed three. They just I announced did. that. Yeah. Pretty cool. 
it was the whole Creed thing was cool too because obviously Rocky is like we're brought up on that shit. But to uh, see yeah. it in a modern way and like to see the, there's a scene where um I forget I forget the actress's name who plays uh his love interest in it. She's a singer and she's at Johnny Brenda's, which is a club yeah. that everybody in Philly plays. So it was like kind of like ah, oh, I fucking seen that shit. That's wild. Yeah. Dude, fucking Robbie, this has been outstanding, man. I really enjoyed this. This has been absolutely awesome. Yeah, we got to do that American Idiot pod next. We'll do the American Idiot pod. We're going to fucking start talking to people over there, and we're going to get some more music content. I'll fucking roll through. I'll do whatever I got to do. I'll shake it up. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, seriously, get, get, get in contact with me. We'll do the American Idiot pod soon. I'll, I'll brush up, and I'll go all the way through with my nerdness, and we'll go Hell through yeah. that. I even saw the uh, – I have the, the inside scoop because I went to the dress rehearsal back Ooh. in the day of the uh, Broadway show. All my oh, family wow. in Broadway back in the day. So no shit. They'll, they'll do, actually, yeah. They're all stagehands. I didn't I ask you this. First one to get out of there. What was your first concert you ever went to? Bon Jovi. It was Bon Jovi, there actually. Yeah, actually, it was the Have a Nice Day Tour. I think Bon Jovi, Giant Stadium. I think Nickelback opened. So wow. I think Nickelback might have been the first band I ever saw live. Yeah. Oh, dude. Um, Look at all bon the shitty. Jovi, look at all the then, shitty bands that Bon Jovi has open for him. Fox trying to get down. <laughs> Nickelback. We've joined Nickelback in something, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But continue. Yeah. I apologize. Um, bon Jovi, and then I think I, I saw Rod Stewart. That's not bad. Like, I've seen early, Rod Stewart. Yeah, because my mom worked at the Eisod Center when that was still open, or was, when it was Continental Airlines Arena. So I think she would just get free tickets. And I have always been this way, still am this way. If you offer me a ticket to a concert, I will be there. I don't care who's performing. I don't care where it is. I'm in. When concerts come back, you got to, when we do New York, you need to come and fucking play. I'm in. Dude, I'm a thousand percent in. Even if I'm not playing, I just want to see you guys. Dude, another thing, when we're, when we're cutting this record, you need to bring a fucking camera with you and come down because we're going to hold up and do this around here. Come down and we'll let you fucking play bass on something on the record. We'll let you just Fuck fucking yeah. go, go in and do it. But, oh, uh, man. I'm, I'm not good, but we'll, I'll rehearse. I'll practice very, very hard. <laughs> Robbie, Robbie, none of us are good. We just happen to be doing it. Oh, shut up. You guys are good. You guys are good, good. <laughs> no, uh, the one person who – there's two people in our band that I will unequivocally say, like, holy fuck, Will, our saxophone player, because he's a genius, and Erica, uh, our singer, is touched by God. Absolutely. The rest of us are just Northeast Philly dickheads. Like, we're just idiots. <laughs> we're just, we lucked into this. I don't know. But, Robbie Fox, it's been a fucking pleasure, dude. I can't wait to do the Green Day pod. We'll talk to you soon, all right? Hell yeah. I appreciate it, dude. My fucking man. Great job. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Dude, no problem. Yo, anytime you want to do that, you hit me up. I'll fucking get it done. But uh, this will probably – we're going to drop this tomorrow, probably. We're going to go cool. cut the rest of the pod now. I'll send you the link. I'll fucking tag you in anything. I'll repost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Dude, it's been awesome. an absolute pleasure. Same. Yeah, same here. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank no you, doubt. dude. Absolutely, bro. All right. That was our friend Robbie Fox from Barstool Sports. Absolutely unbelievable interview. Great guy. Go listen to his podcast, My Mom's Basement. Uh, just everything I wanted and more out of that interview. A lot of good talk about the UFC, a lot of good talk about Marvel and Star Wars, but that dude knows his music, and uh, I'm excited to go and break down American Idiot by Green Day. Oh, yeah. Did you tell him about when we tried playing Jesus Yeah, Suburbia? we went into that, and I also <laughs> told him this story, so I, I just went over on the podcast, but I want to tell it to you. Um, I was telling him, like, 2018, after we did, like, Firefly and Bon Jovi and all this shit, and, like, we were, like, rolling, and then they played Irving Plaza, uh, Pop Punk did. We yeah. talked a lot about Pop Punk, and I was saying to him, I was like, I, I vividly remember at one point, 
we were like planning the next thing, and I was like, "Yo, what do you think the chances of us getting on a pop a pop punk show is?" <laughs> thinking like, hey. <laughs> thinking like back then, like being like, "Yeah, we just played with like the Killers and Bon Jovi, and there's like we gotta open for pop punk." <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> the next. That's the next step. <laughs> shouts out to Frankie. Shouts out to Roan. Shouts out to Ro- uh, to Robbie Fox. Shouts out to PFT comment there. Never thought I'd actually get to do that on this podcast. <laughs> shouts out to PFT. But um, let's go into our coronavirus survival guide. This is something that's near and dear to our hearts, and. This actually stems from a picture that Ro- Robbie sent me. This picture of him when he was a kid with a Green Day shirt on, and he yeah. was like, like full on, like, like looking like he did, like we were when we were kids. And I found a picture of me, and I am fat, and I had like a sp- like a spinner chain on, <laughs> and I had on like uh, f- uh, what were they called? Fat Farm sneakers. Ooh. Oh my dude, I was terrible looking. And uh, <laughs> it it just I thought Ken would be the perfect person to do this with, but I wanted to go over our top clothing trends from when we were kids. That, like, so is this just trends in general from the time or like stuff that we bought into also? Things, no, no. Trends. Uh, uh, mine are mostly things that I one time tried. Okay. But like just in general. Now let's set the scene. We're both 29. So we're talking like 2004 to 2008 I think is like our zenith of like our shittiest. When you were able to like have your own style. Yeah, but really like with really. w- grade school, your awkward phase, like you're wearing just like some weird you're shit. You're not really giving a shit about what you're Yeah, you're doing like. whatever. It's like when you see little kids now wearing Fortnite shirts, they're going to look back and be like, dude, I was a fucking weirdo. Like, why <laughs> did I do that? Like, so this is the top clothing trends from when we were kids. Uh, my first one <laughs> is something I very vi- vividly remember trying wallet chain. Oh, you're a wallet chain guy? I tried it, dude. I don't know why I thought the wallet chain was a good idea, but I tried a wallet chain. I always thought this was funny because I'm not I wasn't a biker. I was like a ten year old <laughs> kid. What was I afraid of happening? Like I had like a Velcro wallet that had a chain attached to my jorts. Like Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> what the fuck? I always think like a lot of these I think about in the eyes of my parents, like my mom like buying me a wallet chain and being like, yeah, here's your here's your like Philly's red Velcro wallet. Baseball cards in there. I didn't even have any money. <laughs> it was just a Velcro wallet with the wallet chain attached. So yeah, that was that was my my first one. So Ken, what was your first one? My first, um, which this is I guess was in high school, <laughs> like. <laughs> Oh, I like a high school one. Like Hollister Polo, oh, American yeah. Eagle. I was, oh. <laughs> I wore those with like cargo shorts. Yes! Was, I think I had like rainbow flip flops. Bro, you know. real quick, can I say something? You know what my second one was? What? Popped collar polo with checkered cargo shorts. Oh, yeah, I page. had the checkered, I had those too. Oh man, bro. we lived in like Philadelphia area. We're like nowhere near a beach. Nowhere near a beach. Thinking I'm on the fucking I, OC here. Bro, or something. I had like swoopy Justin Bieber hair. Now back, this was like OC hair. Like I had like, like I had curly surfer hair. I was like crazy chubby, and I was. I remember this very vividly. Like, if you were going to high school dance, right? Here's your swag. You're rocking white Air Force Ones, mm-hmm. preferably high top if you were cool. And then you got on. <laughs> I had like blue and orange checkered shorts. Yeah, like the ugliest, ugliest shorts, shorts of all buy. time. They look like a picnic basket, but you had to match the shorts with the polo. So I'd have like a Hollister, like baby blue polo that matches the shorts. You pop the collar, puka shell necklace coming through, obviously. <laughs> and uh, every dude at the dance was wearing the exact same thing. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if that's ever going to make a comeback. That. Uh, what are we waiting for? Fox trying to get the dresses in Hollister. 
Yeah, can you imagine Jimmy with a bald collar behind the drums? <laughs> in the immortal words of Jonah Hill in Superbad, nobody's gotten a hand job in cargo shorts since <laughs> now. Can that well, we're both on the same page. I'm gonna substitute something then. Uh okay, here we go. This is actually something I'm gonna bring up Ryan Fox, uh, our old drummer, our friend from college. Um, he wrote a paper in college about this one clothing accessory. Do you remember this? He had Vaguely. A pu- he had a public speaking class. We had the same public speaking class. And he wrote a love letter to the pants that you could zip off at the knee and turn into <laughs> shorts. <laughs> and they had like they had jackets that you could zip off the sleeves and turn them into vests. I got I, them like tactical. Tactical. Like, yeah, I don't know what the thought process was, but like at a time in like 2005, for some reason, it was cool to take. Sh- they were like swooshy pants that you could zip off at the knee. You could see the zipper yeah, when you were wearing had them. A couple pairs and in you could zip. <laughs> I always lost the pant legs, so they would just turn into shorts. Like. <laughs> What the fuck were we thinking? Why, why did Columbia? Because Columbia was the company that made these. Why did they think that was cool? We all bought them, but like, what was it? They, like, somebody was in a meeting, like, yo, what if we had pants that were also shorts? <laughs> <laughs> yo, that's a great idea. Great job, Topher. Great job, Topher. <laughs> <laughs> all right, go ahead for your second. My second, I'm gonna go with um, similar to the. Um, well, I know you mentioned Fat Farm shoes. Oh yeah. Remember back when people wore soaps? What are soaps? You don't remember soaps? No. They were the shoes with like a wax um, <laughs> grind plate on the shoe. Oh my God. And you were like, I guess the whole thing. They were like process. Heelys kind of but yeah, without like wheels. Yeah, Heelys just much more dangerous because like you would you would like run up the, like a flight of stairs and try to like grind down the railway. It was, <laughs> God, and they the weighed. Most... I think my brother had them, and I remember they weighed Tim like they, them, had, they weighed like twenty pounds because it's like this giant. So you plate. basically have a brick of wax underneath your foot. Yeah, I'll have to. Um, I'll show you a picture. We're gonna have to buy a pair. I wonder if you even still can buy them. I'll make them. I don't give a shit. That was like probably a parent's worst nightmare back then. It's like my son has his <laughs> shoes on. He's just gonna run around, flights of stairs. And well, try you know to... what you had to have along with that to get to where you were going to grind. You definitely needed. A razor scooter with the red wheels with the wheelie bar. Oh, it, the wheelie bar. Oh, the definitely. wheelie bar. That that you're fucking at that point, dude. Like, you <laughs> know what I mean? Like, wow, I did not know soaps existed. I'm glad I. I'm glad because I would have hurt myself. I think we all know that. <laughs> uh, my last one, and this is something we covered on the episode with uh, Brianna Judge and Alex Maymoon. I was a big. Now this was all my friends at the time. I'm sure you did it too. They call it the Eminem phase. During the summer, I went to Catholic school, so you had to wait until the summer came because you weren't allowed to do this in school. Bleach blonde hair. Yep. Oh yeah. Bleached that hair. Phase. Every summer, I remember like the last day of school, my mom would bleach my hair and all my friends on the street. Everybody'd be oh, like, God. "It's time to bleach our hair, dude." <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, "Are oh, my neighbor's parents must have been like, what the fuck? You come over from the Budney's house and you come <laughs> in with fucking blonde hair?" And I remember like one year specifically, our entire baseball team did it. Our entire baseball team did it, and my dad made a joke that went so far over my head at the time. <laughs> And, of course, we always talk about my dad has great one-liners, but, like, I was, like, 10, and my dad, he was a, he was a coach on my baseball team, and, he, and he, like, everybody walks up and he goes, looks like fucking Hitler Youth out here. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was, like, I, at the time, I was, like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, bleach blonde hair, because I, I remember Brianna Judge, we grew up together, so she was, like, I, I was, she was, like, making fun of me. She was, like, I remember you always had the bleach tips, and I was, like, first of all, everybody did. She was, like, yeah, but yours was, like, the bleach tips, like yeah, the, and I got like kind of dark hair at times, so like it's hard. It turns kind of orangey, and like after time, what would happen if it didn't go back to normal before shave the summer? Head. Yeah, shave. Okay, shave I, at the time, uh, it was normal for me to just go. It's funny as a kid, like 
you just go from like your hair gets shaggy, and then you just fucking buzz it. And you have no worries about it ever. At 29, that's a ballsy ass move to go and fucking shave your dome. You don't. You wind up like Jimmy, and that shit never comes back. Yeah. Remember, I was gonna bleach my hair. If we, oh yeah, uh, if we won that one hundred four five contest yeah. in like twenty fourteen, way back. Thank God that didn't. Well, Stepdad Terry cool. would have come around a lot earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your last pick? My last one. I'm gonna go similar to the Puka Shell. Oh yeah. Anything that was like hemp, like a hemp oh, necklace, yeah, like or the, uh, like the, the, it looks like twine. Like yeah. Almost. Oh yeah. That was a thing. We all look like wooks. We all look like we were. Yeah, I had like around. I had like that with the bleach blonde hair with my rainbow flip flops. It was, it was a weird time, dude. Oh, I will say there was never a weirder time for like youth fashion than back then. Like we we did some weird fucking shit that like nowadays I look back on I'm like why did my parents let me do this? Yeah, um, I got a couple good ones here as like honorable mention, and the one actually reminds me of our friend Chris because I feel like Chris still does this. Okay, okay, so circa sixth grade for me, so 2004. Uh, Allen Iverson had the answer sh- shoes yeah. with the zippers on the front. Mm-hmm. I had two pairs of those. One were red, white, and blue, and the other were green, yellow, and white. Okay. And I would match them to oversized sports jerseys. Like, I thought I was in the St. Lunatics. I, thought I was going to say, that's a very early 2000s Nelly vibe. I remember you the jersey backwards? I had No, I had an Oakland Athletics jersey that okay. I used to wear. <laughs> and. I'm in Northeast Philly. I, like, I would wear it to dress that day. And people are like, why do you have an Oakland A's jersey? I'm like, because it looks cool with my fucking, it looks cool with my iris. It's called like, style. It's called style. You don't get it. <laughs> All you kids never got it. But uh, I'm thinking like matching your, matching your shoe. Like everything for some reason had to be the same color. Like I said, with like the checker shorts and the polo, everything had to be like matching colors and shit like that. And looking back, I'm like, what the fuck are we thinking? Uh, I also have jorts, of course. Jorts were hot in the streets back in the day. Yeah. I had a lot of the jorts. These are my favorite ones. They were jorts, and they they were carpenters' jorts. So they had the, the little hammer loop. the hammer loop. <laughs> well, dude, I remember my mom took me to the Gap, and I specifically went to the lady, and I was like, "Where are your carpenter jorts? Like your ca- carpenter jean shorts?" <laughs> and I, the lady must have looked at me like, "This is good." The chain wallet. Yeah. Asking for well, how, what else was I gonna wear with my chain wallet? There's so many like little things, like like. Uh, I, I had so many fitted hats because I'm still this to the, I love a good baseball hat. Like, I, I do. But, like, yeah. I had, like, my cousin Ryan had a whole collection of baseball hats. Like, he had every team. Mm-hmm. So, I used to, be, the only thing I ever asked for for Christmas ever was, like, this team's hat, this team's hat, this team's hat. And my dad used to call me a front runner. He like, you don't even like that team. <laughs> like, when I tell you, my, my, my dad talked to me like I was an adult from a very young age. Like, I, we bring it up on the podcast earlier, but I always say, like, even when I would bring home an album that, like, my dad didn't like, he'd be like, why do you like that? <laughs> well, your friends think that's cool? But I remember I had a Mets hat because I was a big Mike Piazza fan, so I had a bunch of Mets stuff, too. Okay. And at the time, I wasn't thinking, like, fuck the Mets. I was yeah, just like, oh, I love Mike Piazza. I'll mm-hmm. get Mets stuff. And I'd wear it. My dad'd be like, Come on, dog. (laughs) My brother had an Emmett Smith jersey. And looking back on that now, I'd beat the piss out of Matt if he bought a Cowboys jersey. But like we had first off, you win the jerseys on the Wildwood Boardwalk. That's a that's a long time thing. Yeah. My brother, my brother's the king of the the three point game down on the Wildwood Boardwalk. Shouts out to his Antoine Randall L jersey that he still has to this day. (laughs) Um is there anything anything else like that? I guess one thing I did similar to the matching, I used to like I don't know why I did this. I would go to like a foot locker or a champs. And they always had the blank shirts of just colored. Yes. And you get yes, like four yes. for 20 or whatever. Basically a white tee, but in different colors. And I'd get like 
them and then I'd mix and match them where I'd be like, all right, I'm going to wear the blue one yeah. with like a green one underneath. And oh, how did I forget about this? The ultimate trend when we were kids long sleeve shirt under a t shirt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. That was like the shit back in the day. Like, even like, like with polos, you'd wear like a long sleeve shirt. I feel like that was like a very, because skateboarding was very big yeah. when we were kids i feel like that was a very skater thing to do oh dude and there's a million skate trends that like are first of all, i felt i was a skater i guy, thought i was so. a skater i dressed like a skater for a while i had like independent yeah t-shirts. i was gonna say that was actually one of my honorable mentions was a lot of like skateboarding brands oh like a like companies. a world industries spitfire. t-shirt spitfire birdhouse <laughs> like i couldn't ollie like i was just like a good we used to go to the skate park and shit like i i, I couldn't do anything i used to just like going down the vert ramp like and it, like i remember like looking back on it like Dude, I fucking sucked at that. Yeah, I wasn't. I could kickflip. That was like my high. Ceiling. I could never. I tried so many times. And all my friends were like, you were good back then. I was like, I sucked. <laughs> I was just the one that could kickflip sometimes. Dude, all right, another great my dad quote. Uh, he took me and my brother to the skate park, <laughs> and uh, I think he watches the whole time. And he goes, we leave, and he goes, it's hard to watch you skateboard because you're so good at baseball, <laughs> but you can't skateboard for shit. <laughs> I think this is why I have thick skin as an adult. Because as a kid, like... Your dad's out here saying Hitler Youth. (laughs) (laughs) I still can't get over that one. Oh, but, like, just, like, something, like, it went right over my fucking head. But, like, looking back, my dad's like, well, here's the Hitler Youth coming through. There's a bunch of little blonde kids walking around. (laughs) Jesus fuck. That's why, was that, like, one of those things, like, you're thinking back, like, on your childhood one day, like, driving, and it just, like, hit you. It's like, like, oh. Oh, shit, yeah. I probably didn't look good. Oh, man. All right, well, that's our episode today. Uh, thanks to Robbie Fox from Barstool Sports. Good fucking guy. We're going to be working with him in the future, uh, possibly coming down and taking Kent's place on half a song. Yeah, we, me and Robbie might have to fight, fight, fight Yeah, in the get octagon. the UFC ring. <laughs> so I oh, can't we'll put you in Rough and Rowdy. <laughs> yeah, so I can get my ass kicked. Um, Did you see the thing from Rough and Rowdy? They had the guy fighter, the fighter, and, like, you know, they had, like, he hate me back in the day from the XFL. Yeah. I eat ass was the guy's name. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, yeah, so uh, fuck you guys. We'll do um, Stepdad Terry versus Robbie Fox. Oh, my God. (laughs) What's up, muchacho? (laughs) (laughs) Big Chihito, bro. (laughs) All right, fuck you guys. We love you.